Get your ride ready for spring driving with Dobbs Spring Break Deals. Money saver deals you can use on Goodyear, Pirelli, Cooper, Michelin, and General Tires. Expert auto service, too. Click on GoToDobbs.com for spring break deals now. Cheap, cheap, fun, fun. Spring is in the air and Dirt Cheap is in your neighborhood ready to deliver the perfect drinks to your doorstep. That's right. All of Dirt Cheap's convenient locations now offer delivery of their wide selections of beers, wines, and all the spirits you need. And if you're like me, nothing hits better in the springtime than a nice weeded bourbon. Ask the friendly staff at Dirt Cheap about their selection of weeders like Maker's Mark, Larceny, and so many others. Download the Dirt Cheap app and order curbside or delivery. Have fun, but be careful out there. For the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Guess what day it is? It's Friday, Friday. Gotta get down on Friday. Everybody's looking forward to the weekend. weekend. Good morning, everyone, and welcome Friday. to Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. It's 701. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers and officially licensed Rolex jeweler. And Channel 4's Brooke Grimsley is in for Michelle, who is out this week. Brooke, good morning. How are you doing? Good morning. I mean, now I'm doing really good, good to hear. because of your song choice. Little, little Rebecca Black makes everybody <laughs> happy, right? And then you have Rocky over here just jamming out. Yeah, he's dancing. Yeah, he... I love this. You know, I'm not I'm not typically a morning person, mm-hmm. but you know, when you have that energy coming in here and Rebecca Black, then how can you not be no, it, excited? It, it's almost impossible to resist. <laughs> The, the allure of that song. I know that a lot of people during the course of the day are just going to go Rebecca Black Friday and yeah. just listen to it while they're sitting at their desk or at home or whatever. She needs to come out with a remix of she this, did. I it's think. It's terrible. Is it's it? brutal. Yeah. Really? Well, may have it. I'm not sure. Is it that different? Uh, yeah, it's really, really bad. I don't know if I... Well, how old was she when this song came out? She was like probably 13, Something 14. Like that, yeah. yeah, not great. Uh, let's see. I... No, we. I don't think we have it. So, and that might be a good thing that we don't. <laughs> uh, we'll spare the listeners this yeah, let morning. Me just take a quick look here. I know that I had it at one point. Yeah, I don't think I did. All right, so we we don't have it. And the Cardinals <laughs> didn't have it yesterday. They had it for a while in Denver against the Rockies, but the Rockies wind up taking two out of three. And Brooke, the last few innings were kind of ugly. Well. Inning was kind of ugly for the Cardinals. They're a 2-2 game. They're in the seventh inning and are in the uh, yeah in the bottom of the seventh. The Rockies score six to turn a 2-2 game into an 8-2 route, and it happened like in a blink. Yes. And so what the Cardinals need to do is come home and do their uh, business against the Milwaukee Brewers over the course of the weekend. So you've got the 2-2 game, and the Rockies go crazy. Charlie Blackman with a base hit to score a run. Jose Iglesias with a base hit to score a run. Rodgers with a home run to drive in three more. Ryan McMahon hit a long home run. And all of a sudden, it's an 8-2 game. And you're thinking, okay, the Cardinals are out of this. But no, not quite. Top of the eighth, the MVP steps in. Out to deep left. Home run number 27. You called it over the middle of the plate. And Paul Goldschmidt, a two-run shot. He's up to 86 runs batted in. He is a triple away from the cycle. Have you, Brooke Grimsley, ever seen anybody like what Paul Goldschmidt is doing this year? No. I mean, I mean we, we saw it before 2011 with Albert, but 
since Albert left, and this is with due respect to Matt Holliday and Carlos Beltran and some of the other great Cardinals that we've had, this is the best year that a Cardinal has had since Albert Pujols in his prime. Oh, 100%. And with Paul Goldschmidt, too, I just like that you feel like with him, he puts on his hard hat, he goes to work. I say this all the time. I feel like if the Cardinals could make a player in a lab that would be the Cardinal way, the Cardinal guy, it would be Paul Goldschmidt, right? And I feel like just because of who he is as a person, he's very quiet, very understated. But when he gets there at the plate, his presence is so known And that's just so exciting to see what he's able to accomplish. And it's not this huge show or anything. Mm -hmm. He just puts in work and it pays off. When the Cardinals got him and they had the introductory press conference, Bill DeWitt Jr. called him the perfect Cardinal. And he really is. He just fits the mold of what we perceive the Cardinals to be. He really is. I call him numbingly consistent. I hope we aren't taking this season for granted because it is a remarkable season. And now, not only do you have Goldie going, but you've got number 28 hitting home runs, too. And the 0-1. Arenado sends it out to deep left field. Back to back. So an 8-6 game, the Cardinals had opportunities to tie it late. Couldn't take advantage of those opportunities and lose by a score of 8-6. Dakota Hudson gives the Cardinals five innings. He allows two runs on four hits. He struck out six, but unfortunately, he walked four. Throw a strike, I mean, yeah. I mean, it's just where those are left, a couple of them were lefties, and then it was like, okay, behind, let me make a pitch, messing with my four-seam and sinker, and it just didn't sync up very well. And then... Uh, just get the next guy, I guess. And he wasn't really the cruncher. The cruncher, Brooke, was the fact that Jordan Hicks, once we got into the seventh, allowed a couple of earned runs. He walked a couple of hitters. And then Henesis Cabrera comes on and might have had his worst outing as a major leaguer. He didn't get an out. He allowed four runs on four hits and two home runs and didn't strike anybody out. And it's with his stuff, when you're trying to get that curveball going in the high altitude, it's really difficult. But Cabrera has had a rough go of it in August. He really has. I mean, this was my question, my big takeaway coming away from that loss last night is who is your lefty now that you trust coming out of the bullpen in these tough situations? I don't think there really is one where you have a situation tonight where you need to bring a left-hander, left-hander in to get Christian Yelich. Do you bring Cabrera back? I think that's probably the direction I would go in a high-leverage situation. Packy Naughton isn't pitching the way that he did earlier in the season. And Zach Thompson's back down now at Memphis. You haven't brought up Jojo Romero yet. Maybe we'll see him, the guy that they got for Edmundo Sosa. But based upon the last couple of weeks, I don't think there is a guy where you say, okay, this left-handed pitcher is going to get their left-handed hitter out. Exactly. I mean, that's, that's the thing that is a little bit concerning right now, especially with how tight things are. You go into Colorado, you think, okay, you have all this momentum going in there. Seven-game win streak, and then that first loss happens. And it's not just like a little bit of a loss. It was Mm -hmm. a whole total team loss, an off night for Miles Michaelis. And you say, hey, maybe it was Colorado there. Maybe it was a little weird. And as Miles said, you just have to get back on the (laughs) pony and roll with the tumbleweeds, as he he said in his cowboy hat. And maybe it was just an off night for Miles. But then you're in that situation where you are able to respond better in that second game and you bring out Andre Pallante. I'm just really looking at this bullpen right now. It was a lopsided win in that situation for the Cardinals. 
Cubs. You use him for a couple of innings, but then you're not able to use him in that series finale. So mm-hmm. now you're in a very tough spot. Tied game two to two. You have Hicks walk a couple of guys. Henesis Cabrera comes in there, isn't able to get the job done. So now is the question... Is it just Colorado or is there concerns that we have that maybe not everything is addressed with the Cardinals bullpen moving forward and we should be just slightly concerned about that? I still am confident. I, I'm i not to that point because it's such a small sample size where I'm really worried about it. That being said, three games for Cabrera in August. He has a 13 and a half ERA, a uh, couple of games in August for Packy Naughton, and he's got a 10.8 ERA. So here we are on August 12th, and those guys aren't having great outings. But perhaps the problem is is that the Cardinals just aren't keeping them sharp now. When you have only three games pitched in 13 days or two games like Packy Naughton, maybe it's an issue of just being sharp. Combine that with being in Colorado. And I would guess that we'll probably see those guys this weekend, especially with the Brewers, uh, with, with Yelich. Uh, he's He's Milwaukee's offensive weapon. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's, he's the guy. So I would guess, uh, aside from the Jordan Montgomery start, that we'll probably see those guys against uh, the, the best that the Brewers have to offer from a left-handed standpoint. Would you have liked to see Ryan Helsley during this series in Colorado, or do you like the decision of holding him back a little bit so you have him in this Brewers series? Well, you never really had the opportunity to use him in Game 1 because you were down so much early. And then in Game 2, you're ahead so early. You're not in a save situation. And then yesterday, you get behind 8-2. to two. I don't think there was really a situation for Helsley to come into the game. So I, I'm okay. If, I'm not going to bring Helsley into an 8-2 uh, game where I'm trailing yesterday. So I, I'm fine with preserving him and having him fresh for the rest of this stretch run. I, uh, that's the one guy that I have the utmost confidence in. Mm-hmm. And I, I have no problem with the Cardinals utilizing him in... Sparingly. Uh, uh, yeah, and, well, and I'm I'm a save situation guy. I know Ollie is a high leverage situation guy. And there's a, there's a difference. I don't mind, especially when Gallegos pitches like he did uh, his last time out against the Yankees. I don't mind if the other team's three, four, five hitters are coming up in the eighth if you use Helsley and then use Gallegos in the ninth against lesser hitters. That's just a philosophical thing. I'm a big closer guy. I I think getting the 27th out is really difficult, but it is what it is. But I have no problem with them keeping Ryan Helsley only available for those high leverage situations. I think I haven't been able to look at Cardinals Twitter, but I know that Zach Thompson has a lot of Cardinals fans just wanting him back Mm -hmm. up here. I feel like after that series finale there, you kind of feel like you got to have him here soon, especially with how close things are, right? Yeah, but at this point, they've already DFA'd McFarland. Who does he arrive on the scene at the expense of? Because I don't think they're moving Cabrera out of there. They aren't doing anything with him. Mm -hmm. Packy, overall, his from... Aside from his starts, Packy's been fantastic. As let me see, as a reliever this year, uh, let's see, game uh, pitching role as a reliever, uh, big picture, uh, he has pitched in twenty and a third innings in eighteen games and has an earned run average of three point one. So Packy, big picture, has been reliable. So I think you have to keep him around. I, I don't see that there's a guy where you say Zach Thompson is clearly going to be better than the guy that's on the roster right now. So uh, if they're going to bring him up, and I don't think that he'll come up in September because you only get to add two guys now, and evidently Jack Flaherty is going to be one of them. So 
I don't see a situation unless there's an injury really for Thompson. Do you see a guy in the bullpen that you say, okay, the Cardinals, this isn't Brooke and Randy, the Cardinals would say, okay, Zach Thompson is better than player X at the moment. I'm just trying, let's take a quick look at just a, Yes, that's or no. a tough one, and this is it why is. Yeah. this is why we're not in the front office exactly. making these big money yeah. de- right. <laughs> decisions. Because I would love to see Zach Thompson out there, especially with how close these games are right mm-hmm. now, and you're trying to win division. I feel like Zach Thompson, from at least the little sample size that we've seen, could be really good in the Cardinals bullpen in these situations. The one guy is the guy they just brought up, Jake Woodford, that would be quote unquote disposable, but Jake Woodford just takes over that. Uh, T.J. McFarland role. Jake Woodford is he is Tuesday night in Colorado. He's yes. down at nine to two. He he. That's his role. But otherwise, I can't, in good conscience, put Zach Thompson into a pennant race ahead of Henesis Cabrera or Gallegos or Helsley. I know that Jordan Hicks has been inconsistent, but I also know that Jordan Hicks has been a guy that's saved 24 games in a season at the major league level. Packy, we just gave his numbers. Palante, they love down in the bullpen. Stratton just got here, and he's been more good than bad. So I just don't I don't see a spot right now for Zach Thompson. And, and I get the infatuation because you just want somebody different. You want the new shiny toy. But I, I don't see that spot open for him right now. Speaking of Jack Flaherty, by the way, Brooke, Last night, he had his first rehab yesterday for Memphis. One inning, 35 pitches. He allowed four hit, four hits, a homer, three runs. Only two of them were earned. He struck out two and didn't walk anybody. And I haven't read anything about his outing, but my guess is that he probably threw 35 fastballs as he tries <laughs> to just ramp up and essentially throw a, a spring training bullpen. But when you're allowing four hits and not walking anybody, my guess is that that's all he did is throw Uh, fastballs just to get himself stronger and that's a good thing I have no problem with that yeah well I mean going down there it's the dead arm right Mm -hmm. that we were looking into and that you want to see you want to feel out so I don't really take too much from that game you know I would I like to have seen something a little bit better than that in the minors of course but at the same time it's just about getting out there as you said just working on those mechanics as well and just getting a little bit more comfortable out there and figuring out where we won't have any more of these dead arm situations that were very concerning and my guess would be that he'll get five starts at the minor league level so that'll be 25 days and he'll work up from 35 Probably 50 pitches the next time, 65 the time after that, 80 the time after that, and then just get himself honed and ready to go in his uh, last couple of minor league starts and then be up here in September to help the Cardinals down the stretch. The Brewers were off last night, so they're only a half game behind the Cardinals. And, Brooke, they still have seven games left against the Dodgers this month. They have a series against the Yankees. They play the Mets. They play the Giants, who are a handful for everybody they play. Even though they're having a bad year, they're still tough to beat. And the Cardinals just have three against the Dodgers and three against the Padres. So from a scheduling standpoint, the Cardinals have a distinct advantage over Milwaukee. Well, you would hope so, right? Yeah. You would you would think they so. They play easier teams, but they got to take advantage of the And schedule. the Dodgers have what? One, is it 10 straight now? Mm-hmm. 10 straight. 
Yeah. They're Thankfully, the Cardinals aren't the ones that have yeah. to play the Dodgers that much here down the stretch. You have to feel a little bit pretty good about that schedule, right, for the Cardinals, mm-hmm. especially how close this is right now. It wasn't wasn't as close as it was going into the series with Colorado. You kind of hoped that they would have easily taken care of business in Colorado. But as we mentioned, kind of a funky place to even play and pitch in anyways. So now things are extremely close and you kind of hope that that scheduling is going to be an advantage here for the Cardinals down the stretch. All right. Tough question for you here then. Let's assume that the Cardinals beat the Padres in the first round of the playoffs. Who would you and I think it would be in the second round because they would be the other division champion. I think they would play the Mets. But who would you rather play in the playoffs? The Mets or the Dodgers? Oh. <laughs> I have to choose between yeah, those. Who's the, who, who, which of those teams is the easier mark? Because I think even though the Dodgers have a better record, they're five games ahead of against uh, ahead of New York. Now that Degrom is healthy, yeah, I don't want to see. I don't want anything to do with Scherzer and Degrom. No, I, I I feel better actually about playing the Dodgers than the than the Mets. I see where you're going with that. I, I really do, especially it seems like when Scherzer sometimes plays against mm-hmm. the Cardinals, especially in the playoffs, it's like a whole different animal comes out, mm-hmm. <laughs> comes out of him because you have that little edge that he likes to bring out. Uh, <laughs> ah. I put you on the spot here oh, early. This man. is good. I, yeah, I think I would prefer the Dodgers a little bit, especially when you bring up that situation. But the Dodgers are still just such a good team. They're unbelievable. Such a good team. Yep. And they're so deep. They're they're something. But the Mets not only have those two, they, they have five starters, but three in the playoffs. And then Edwin Diaz at the back end of the bullpen. Man, they're tough. They're tough. Yeah. Uh, the NFL preseason week one got underway last night. The Giants with the last second field goal by Graham Gano. They beat the Patriots 23-21. to And... The Ravens beat the Titans 23-10. to We don't care about the preseason. Why did you have to bring that it's up? It's only preseason game one. We don't care about it, bro. We don't care. That's, right? Yeah, totally. That's, you know, just just a little background for everybody. I'm a huge Titans fan, grew up a Titans fan. So, of course, it's ironic that I'm here in St. Louis where the St. Louis Rams actually absolutely crushed my little, little girl <laughs> dreams of winning a Super Bowl. But, you know, as you mentioned, it's just a preseason game. From the little bit I was able to see, you're not going to have Derrick Henry out there. You don't have Ryan Tannehill out there. So was I expecting much? No. But my biggest takeaway and my brightest star, I guess I will say, would be Malik Willis. Mm -hmm. Your third round pick. And I felt like he did great. Now, he didn't throw the ball. And that's why they pulled him out of the game early. But still, that was really exciting to see him out there. He's a specimen, isn't he? Yes. Oh, man. Fast. Yeah. He's... If he's properly developed, he has a chance to be really good. And it's the and NFL is so you, different, right? Processing yeah. everything. And that gives you a little bit more confidence, too, with the Ryan Tannehill situation mm-hmm. as well. Because, of course, if you ask any Titans fan, they're still very scorned with how the playoffs went with Ryan Tannehill. So mm-hmm. you want to have that option. And I feel like Malik Willis, especially if we can see him be a little bit more of a passer, we have the running down, right, with Derrick Henry. We need somebody who can take over that role. All Tannehill did was throw an interception that led to the Bengals winning the playoff <laughs> That's game. That's it. That's all he That's did. <laughs> For Crimsley, Randy Carricker, it's Carricker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Coming up, peak and pit. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780 on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carricker and Smallman podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. 
Up into the peaks or into the pit? Peaks and pits. Join in on the conversation with Carriker and Smallman now. Text 65780. This is 101 ESPN. All right, your peak and pit of the week on 101 ESPN. Brooke Grimsley from Channel 4 is in for Michelle. I'm Randy. Matthew Rocchio is here. And, Brooke, my peak of the week is very easy. It was last Saturday in Canton when Dick Vermeil got inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. We were talking about the Titans before the break, and the Rams team that beat the Titans got together, and to see all those guys and the affinity they had and have for their coaches, great. The entire offensive line was there. Isaac and Torrey and Ricky were there. Kurt was there. Trent Green. Kevin Carter. Jay Williams. Uh, It was just a really great scene because – when championship teams get together, and we'll see it with the Cardinals this weekend when they celebrate the 40-year anniversary of the 1982 World Championship, it's almost like they were never apart. It's it's an incredible thing to see, and I really enjoyed it. So that was my peak of the week. And uh, my pit of the week was yesterday being out on the golf course at Peevely Farms, and a beautiful day, nicest day we've had in St. Louis in some time, and... I get on to the uh, the 17th green and four-putted. And I said, you should never four-putt, right? You should never three-putt. We're going to talk to Jay Delsing, by the way, coming up in a few minutes. He will excoriate me for four-putting, and I'm going to get together with Jay, and he's going to fix my problems, allegedly. But, uh, yeah, I, I I don't do it often, but that is absolutely, I remember it. It's my pit of the week. So, How do I even follow up with that peak that you just mentioned oh, there? That was epic. I, it was great. I mean... Even as I mentioned, I grew up a Titans fan, and that's where my love for sports began, is just seeing my dad's infatuation with it, how much joy it brought him, and then how much joy it brought me. That era of football was so great. You had the greatest show on turf, Mm -hmm. and you had the Music City Miracle going on at the same time. And it's been so hard to also live up to that as a Titans fan as well, because of just how great that was to see. But I would say, I'm going to start, I'm going to, I'm going to start with my pit. Okay. Because it happened last night. We have to talk about the Field of Dreams game. I thought it was decent. It wasn't as great as obviously the first one. That first one, that ending was just a Hollywood ending. Agreed. But my issue was one, it should have been the Cubs and Cardinals. And it was just really hard watching that and not thinking, man. It should have been the Cubs and Cardinals. You have your chance. They did a great job of really promoting it, making sure there was obviously no other games going on. NHL should take note of that when you have a big yeah, a big yeah. event, a big event Good to idea. make sure that it's the only game that's going on mm-hmm. at that time. It was so beautifully shot. I mean, I love those aerial shots of the cornfield. It was gorgeous. I just think, especially this time of year, you should have teams that are a little bit more competitive playing in such a premier event like that so that for the people who are still kind of on the fence about if they want to watch baseball or not, or, you know, they always talk about engaging that younger Mm -hmm. audience, right? Then have teams that are a little bit more competitive right now in this season. And also, you have your opportunity for one of the oldest and greatest rivalries in baseball with the Cardinals and Cubs. That should be your premier event right there. And you know that the Cardinals fans would have showed up for that and really, really showed up well on a national stage. My peak, now I'll go to that, is being here with you guys. Oh, thanks. I just have to, I, cheesy, right? That's fantastic. Cheesy, right? But I've been looking forward to this all week. 
little nervous coming here. I don't wake up this early in the morning, <laughs> but this is something that I've been really looking forward to is coming here. Glad you're here, and uh, that, that is a peak for us, too. By the way, back in 1919, both the Cubs and Reds were pretty good, so maybe that was their goal. There is you to, go. Yeah. To get the, and there's not going to be the overhead shots. One thing is clear. Shoeless Joe didn't play in a ballpark that looked like that. <laughs> and... They're going to have this game for two years because they're going to do more construction on the Field of Dreams so to make much. it more of a major league ballpark. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're doing so much stuff. They're going to add. I think they're going to start with eight thousand seats, yeah. and they want to expand it up to at least so, maybe twenty five thousand over the years. I so, mean, what's the point then? We can just play the game at Notre Dame Stadium. The the idea of the Field of Dreams is that it's intimate. Build it, and they will come. It was two sets of bleachers. It's this is not what the Field of Dreams is about. Yes. Two things. One, a friend of the show, Jesse Rogers, up at ESPN Chicago, he put it the best. He, at one point he tweeted, are you really not going to get a home run into the corner in this game? Where are the juiced balls? <laughs> right. Thank you. Yeah. I was thinking the same thing because it's just like you want something. You want one flying in there. You and, have that, to. and that first great game was so great because you had mm. that exciting firework ending going into the cornfield with that home run. I mean, you want that for that event. And it just kind of felt like, okay, I've watched this for a little bit. I'm ready to. To Move watch on. something yeah. else, you know. I, I'm with you. I agree. All right, what do we got on the text line, Matthew? Pete Cardinals playing well, and they sweep the Yankees. Then the pit, of course, watching them drop a series to Colorado, who they should have beat. Well, Colorado's tough at home, and we said that before the series started, and the Rockies proved it to us after yesterday, after the eight-six win over the Cardinals. The last place Rockies, I'll grant you that they are in last place, and they aren't great, but they're thirty-two and twenty-eight at home. It's a tough place to play. Mm-hmm. Speaking of which, Peak, today is my last day at my old job. I start a new one on Monday. Congratulations, Congratulations. to you. Work from home and better pay, and I'm celebrating tonight. Good for you. Pitt, it was tough to see the Cardinals lose two or three. It was. was. Hey, you you like to win because Colorado's in last place, but there's a lot of teams that have gone into Colorado and had difficulty. Peak, my least productive employee resigned. Pitt, two applicants have applied. One no-showed the interview, and the other didn't have a resume. Wait, is there a relation there with those two texters? I don't know. You had somebody starting a new job? No, I'm kidding. That's (laughs) productive. The timing of that was was just interesting with that. And I'm from an era, Brooke, and I. Let me tell you this, because I go to a lot of sporting events, and every every time I go to an event or a practice, Brooke Grimsley is there. You work exceptionally hard. But you are also in a generation of people that would be inclined to not show up for an interview, right? Mm -hmm. Are you flabbergasted when you hear about stuff like that? Oh, I am. Yeah. How do you not show up for an interview? Yeah. How do you? I have no idea. How do you not have a resume? Yeah. I think. I mean, I didn't have one for a while there, but I mean, that's because I didn't. I didn't need one. As soon as I needed one, I put one together. Yeah, I I do think that that's really interesting. How much that has changed over the years and Mm -hmm. it seems like quickly especially since you need a lot of workers now and you have Mm -hmm. a lot of people hiring that sometimes I feel like that's almost a benefit for the interviewees that are coming in where it's like well either you want me or you don't yeah I told my kids and my kids are 28 and 24 and I told both of them when they were getting into the workforce when they graduated from college the thing that will differentiate you is your work ethic going in and working hard every day and showing the employer that you're willing to work hard now, the differentiator is just showing up. If you just yeah. show up, you're, you're golden. It's, it's amazing. So that's why I show up. I think it's a, I think it's a, that's why you show <laughs> up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I, I show up. I think it's a little bit from from the other take that I've heard from it. I feel like people now to the younger generation values work-life balance a little bit more. Mm-hmm. 
So you're seeing that change too with the workforce as well, where yeah. it's like, okay, yeah, I'm gonna have a job, but also I want to make sure this job doesn't get in the way of me having a personal life. Right, it just shows right. you how much things yeah. have changed. I'm gonna throw in one of mine really quick. Peak for me this week was getting to play golf with Randy Carricker, uh, Jay Delsing, and Mike Claiborne at the Ascension Charity Media Day. That was a fun on peak. Tuesday. That, that was, was an absolutely blast, absolute blast today. I had so much fun. My pit's gonna be Matt Carpenter breaking his foot. That yeah. was such a fun oh, storyline. Yeah, he, I'm so glad he got to come through to St. Louis. We got to watch him uh, fly out to the warning track uh, a couple <laughs> times, like nine Yankees flying out to the warning track in, in that series. But man, it was such a bummer. I wanted to see him finish that out, keep having a strong season, maybe even make some noise in the playoffs. That was such a bummer. Yeah, and it's four to six, so hopefully he'll be back for the last couple of weeks of September and have an opportunity to participate in the playoffs for the Yankees. Yeah, I think that's really fair. I As soon as I saw that, too, it's just you can't help but feel like you want to root for Matt Carpenter. I know that he went through, obviously, that rough stretch with the Cardinals there in the end, mm -hmm. but his story is just so amazing because if you just look at his whole timeline of even making it to the bigs, I mean... He his whole story is about fighting through adversity and being able to prove people wrong. And he was doing that again with the Yankees. And it was such a great I mean, you want to see a movie about it mm -hmm. almost. Right. Yeah. Well, who could grow that mustache or would it have to be a fake mustache? Probably it would have to be mustache. a fake one. Yeah, that's that's a that's a signature that's, mustache that I don't know if everybody can just grow. It's a it's a unicorn. <laughs> There's no doubt about it. Thank you, Matthew. I, I just I love the story so much. It's great. And, and everything he's doing is great. That is a pit. Coming up next on 101 ESPN, we're going to talk some golf with our buddy Jay Delsing, the aforementioned to Jay Delsing, next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Channel 4 in for Michelle. I'm Randy. We go to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. It is Friday after all, and Jay Delsing's show is coming up Sunday morning at 9 here on 101 ESPN. Former PGA Pro, one of the great spokespeople for the golf community here in St. Louis. Good morning, sir. How you doing? Good morning, guys. How are, we, how are we doing this morning? Good. So I just got a text from my friend Chris Muir at, at Golf Discount, and uh, he's mad at me for four-putting. I know you're going to be, and you told me we're going to get together <laughs> in the next couple of weeks, and we're going to spend some time with putting practice. So I'm at, uh, and you know the greens over at Peavely Farms, Jay. They're, uh, they, they can be treacherous, and I four-putted. Yeah, that's, you know, it happens to the best of us. That's all I'm going to say, Randy. And, you know, after we got together, I'm kind of a little pissed that you threw the Dick Vermeil, you know, a small thing like Dick getting into the Hall of Fame on, uh, on Tuesday, but we'll get over it. <laughs> okay, so I guarantee you when, when we have putting practice in the next couple of weeks, my peak of the week is going to be learning how to putt from Jay Delsing. <laughs> oh, man, it's all good. It's all good. I can't wait to get to get back with you. Jay, say hi to Brooke Grimsley. Hey, Brooke, good morning. How you doing? Good morning. Good. How about you? Great. A big fan of yours. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. By the way, I just have to tell you, I stopped by Wild Crush for the first time, and it was excellent. Thank you very much. Yeah, you know, with this, with this cooler weather, we have a beautiful patio, and uh, people have actually been able to go out and go, gosh, we didn't even know this was out here because it's been so damn hot. So <laughs> thanks so much for coming by, Brooke. Yeah, we have a good team there. I've got a great partner. And, uh, yeah, we, we, um, we look forward to being around a while. 
Yes, yes. I'll have to definitely come back out there now that the weather is just perfect. Well, one thing I want to get into you, get into about with you is we have a lot to look forward to in the golf world coming here to St. Louis. We have the Ascension Charity Classic and then Sue Durando kind of putting out a little bit of a teaser, the BMW Championship at Belle Reve. We're expecting an, announce, expecting an announcement next week. And then the 2030 President's Cup also at Belle Reve. Just talk about golf and its presence coming back more into St. Louis. Obviously, we all look back at the PGA Championship, and it looks like we have even more to look forward to coming down the stretch over at Bell Reef. Yeah, Brooke, it's really cool that they're finally going to announce at BMW. I've known about that for quite a while. We kind of It's kind of the worst-kept secret, really, in town. <laughs> um, but the PGA Championship in 2018 was just a remarkable testimony for the city of St. Louis, the the, the, the sport fan, which, you know, we St. Louisans have a high opinion of ourselves uh, as sports fans, but I think it's pretty well-deserved. And one of the things that really stuck out to the PGA Tour, I know, was the corporate um, uh, response, so to speak, at Bell Reef. So when Ascension saw what happened at Bell Reef, Nick Ragone and Steve Spratt, they, they just kind of thought, man, we've got to get, get a tournament here and they wanted to take care of the North County area, and they're doing all of these things up at Norwood Hills, which is such a great venue. Uh, so I, I know we'll never, we're always going to be way behind Blues hockey and uh, Cardinal baseball, which is uh, justifiably our, our position. But the game of golf does such great things, you guys, for the community. It raises so much money. I, I'm so proud to just be associated in a tiny little bitty way with the the tournaments that raise money and leave money in those communities, you know, for the underserved or for the less fortunate than us. So it's, it's a great run. And to be able to get to see the BMW championship, which will be a playoff event, Brooke, and then get to see the president's cup. Hell, I hope Randy, hell, I hope you and I are still around for the president's cup. Yeah, me too. Know. <laughs> but but, but that's, that's going to be cool because it's going to be an international team competition. It's so so cool. that'll yeah. be an entirely different animal. And, and, and it won't be quite as badass as the Ryder Cup, but it'll be really, really fun. Red, white, and blue will be waving proudly, and uh, you'll get to see the best players in the world playing out at Bell Reve. It, it, it doesn't get much better than that. Jay, we had the three former PGA players that went to the Live Tour and filed suit for a temporary restraining order so that they could play in the PGA's FedEx playoffs, and that was rejected. And I'm not a lawyer, and I know you read all of the same stories that I did, but if I'm the 11 players from the Live Tour that filed suit against the PGA for antitrust violations, I'm not feeling pretty good after what the judge said if I'm a PGA player or a a Live Tour player. No, hell no, Randy. And, you know, one thing that came out that was really interesting, and I don't know if most of the folks caught it, but under oath, one of the live attorneys kind of, uh, well, not kind of, he said that the monies that have been passing out are against the draw on the players' contracts, meaning if that's the truth, we had some of that information leak out, oh, gosh, probably a couple months ago now. Mm -hmm. But if that is indeed the case, guys, these players are going to these events and not seeing any additional money for what for their for their play, so it is truly more exhibitionary. It is really an important but kind of a small thing that that this attorney said under oath, and so that's 
definitely going to be a point of contention as we move forward because um, they're they're talking about team money. They're talking you know ridiculous amounts of money, and then they play these events and no money changes hands. I don't know. That, that really seems odd to me. The whole thing's murky, guys, and that's one of the things that I hate about the stuff that Greg Norman's been involved in. It's never really transparent. We really don't know what the hell's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and for example, let's just use Dustin Johnson as an example. He's getting $125 million guaranteed from the Live Tour. If he wins a tournament, he doesn't get that $4.5 million. That just, he gets his, he basically gets a salary to play, right? That's the, is that the way, I, I am I reading it correctly here? So it doesn't matter what he wins on the tour, what his share of the purse is. He's just getting his $125 million. He's not getting anything beyond that. Exactly. Until, Randy, the, the, and, and, and Brooke, the amount of money that they win in these, whatever these sort of events are, exceeds the guarantee. So say Pat Perez was given $10 million. If he could ever get his live earnings over $10 million, then he would start to accumulate that once he gets whatever, you know, uh, he gets past $10 million. So it's just weird, guys. It's just it, it, it's just weird. I, I um I was thinking about something the other day, guys. When a golf course architect designs a golf course, one of his kind of jewels and one of the things that he or she does on the course is set up the golf course for a finish. You look at the dramatic finish at Pebble Beach and so on. And when you're on the live tour, you know, you start on hole number five, say, and you finish on hole number four. You know, I mean, it just it just doesn't make any sense yeah, in terms right. of the yeah. way that golf was meant to be played. Exactly. Well, what do you think, bigger picture, what do you hope will be the outcome from this, especially when it comes to the PGA Tour and if there will be any changes there? Because at least from what I'm seeing, it looks that looks as though some of the players are just frustrated that, you know, there's not a guaranteed pay, there's not guaranteed health benefits. What do you kind of hope would be the result of this? And do you think that there will be maybe some coming together with the PGA Tour and changing of the way that they go about things? Yeah, I, Brooke, I just don't, I'm not smart enough. I really am <laughs> not smart enough to know what the hell this should look like. I, I know this will make the PGA Tour better. I really am not even sure about the PGA Tour's somewhat knee-jerk reaction to changing our schedule already next year. I, I need to dive into in the, into the weeds even further to try to understand what that scheduling looks like. But unfortunately, and I love the PGA Tour, and I'm so fortunate to be able to be a part of that, but we're a reactionary organization. We get complacent. We're kind of the only game in town, so to speak. And some, from that point of view, Hopefully this will help us sharpen our pencil a little bit and try to get out in front of some of these things. But I don't know how these two can coexist. I just, I mean, because think of it this way. You can clearly understand that Justin Thomas and Rory and, and Tiger have passed up massive amounts of money. They've foregone the, these offers from Liv. Well, if they let Bryson and these guys eventually come back, they're going to be able to keep that money. There's a huge inequity there. I, mm-hmm. That's why I don't see the guys that defected. I don't think they're going to be able to come back. 
Hey, Jay, one more thing. The FedEx Cup playoffs actually start this weekend at the St. Jude Classic, and then next week the BMW, and then they'll wind up at East Lake in Atlanta. Who's your favorite? Who do you think is going to win the FedEx Cup? Oh, my gosh. I really, really am pulling for Rory. It's interesting to, with what's going on, guys, with all of the, the rumors about Cam Smith, and that's the, that's another really poorly kept secret. They've They've been talking about Cam going to live for ever since he – won the British Open. So he's number two in the list. I, I really hope he does not win if he if he does defect. But I'd love to see Rory. I, I think Rory has really come to the forefront. He's spoken to what a lot of us feel about the PGA Tour and a lot of us feel about this whole, you know, all of this mess that's kind of come up out of this. But um, Scotty Scheffler would be a great champion as mm-hmm. well. Talking about a guy, Randy and, and Brooke, that's flown under the radar this year. I mean, the guy wins the Masters, and he's not even the lead story. I mean, the fact that Tiger was even able to play and make the cut at Augusta blew everybody's socks off. So Scotty just had, a, you know, kind of flew under the radar and wins his first major. So one of those two guys would be great for me. I'm with you 100%. Jay Delsing, good to hear you. Uh, by the way, who do you have on the show on Sunday morning? Oh, I got the great Mike Tirico. Oh, and, awesome. Uh, what, a, what a really nice man and, and uh, a lot of great conversation about golf and Tiger Woods for Mike. Yeah, one of the nicest people in the world. Love Mike Tirico, and we'll be tuned in on Sunday morning. Jay, good to hear your voice. Have a great weekend, and we'll talk to you soon. You too, guys. Thanks so much. Have a great week. See you later. That's our friend Jay Delsing on 101 ESPN. Brooke Grimsley in for Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, get your text in to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. We've got Take It or Leave It coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Take it or leave it. Give us your feedback now by texting 65780. It's Take It or Leave It with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Powered by Gloria Lou Realty. Visit GloriaHasTheBuyers.com and start packing. for Take It or Leave It on 101 ESPN with Channel 4's Brooke Grimsley and for Michelle and Matthew Rocchio. I'm Randy Carricker. It's great to have you with us and it is time for Take It or Leave It. Get your text in now. Again, 65780. All right, Brooke, Take It or Leave It. And we mentioned earlier that uh, or Matthew mentioned during the uh, update that the NBA is going to retire the number six of Bill Russell. Every single team is going to retire number six. Take it or leave it, eventually number 23 will be retired for Michael Jordan. It has to be, right? You'd think so. I'd take it. Yeah. It It has to be. One of the reasons LeBron switched to number six in Miami is because he thought the league would do it, and then they never did. But they have to find a point where they retire number three. I'm with you there. I'm going to take it, too, because it's ridiculous that it's not. I, I know. It's absolutely shocking. And also for for Bill Russell, I feel like that should have come a little bit sooner, too. Yeah, before he died. Yeah. Would have been good. <laughs> <laughs> where you could have a nice honoring, all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. I feel like it should happen before the person passes away. I agree. All right. You got a Tioli for us? I do. So I'm going to switch this up a little bit because Mizzou talk. We're getting into the season here, preseason. Take it or leave it. Brady Cook is going to be your starting quarterback for the Mizzou Tigers for the entire season. 
entire season, Randy. I'm going to take it. I'm going to say right. I'm going to say you're that, all in on Shamanad, huh? Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm going to say that a they are able to protect him and he's able to stay healthy, and b that he's able to hey get the ball into the hands of number three. Get the exactly. ball into the hands of Luther Burden, and you're going to be fine. Yes. I would really, I haven't been able to go up there for a practice yet, but I would really, really like to see, because from the little bit that we are shown in this preseason, because obviously they don't let the media cameras hang around for the full practice, you haven't seen Cook and Luther and their chemistry, but I'm assuming that that's a good sign that if you're going to name Cook, then obviously something's working out with Luther yeah, Burden. Right. Matthew, what do you got for us? Take it or leave it. Ali Marmol needs to stop using Hicks as a two-inning pitcher. I'll take that. Yeah. And by the way, I don't think that's necessarily an Ali decision. Ooh, they, 2 p.m.? That's a 2 p.m. decision, yeah. Ooh. That, that's why they stretched out Hicks earlier, because they thought that he was a two-inning guy. Palante's in the same boat. Mm-hmm. The Cardinals love the idea of having their starter go five like Hudson did yesterday and then having a pitcher or two go multiple innings but Jordan Hicks is pretty inefficient 27 pitches yesterday in an inning and a third you've made me fear 2 p.m. like I used to fear 750 as a child oh was that 50 a.m. was that the first that's, class yeah, that's, when, that's when school started yeah, back, so in, back in grade school most teams I would say the Mets probably don't do the 2 p.m. meeting with Buck and the the Astros probably don't with Dusty and the White Sox definitely don't with Tony. <laughs> but most teams, the analytics numbers people get together with the manager at about two o'clock and they script out the game and whatever's going to happen is implemented there. So, for example, yesterday for the Cardinal game, I'm sure that they determined that, okay, Hudson gives us five. That's good. We'll go to Jordan Hicks. And they thought that he would get him six and seven and obviously wasn't able to give him both six and seven. Take it or leave it. Tyler O'Neill will not be on the Cardinals in 2023. Oh, I've seen this all over Twitter, and I think that's really interesting how much things have changed. I think Lars Newbar and how well he's doing has really drove this conversation that you're seeing all over Twitter right now with Tyler O'Neill. I want to see Tyler O'Neill be a part of that outfield, but... Lars Newbar really, really looks good out there, too. And it almost makes it seem like you have a lot of talent behind Tyler O'Neill. You have a lot of people in the minors that also could look good. And Jordan Walker is probably going to be your opening yes. and opening day outfielder next year. That being said, I think because of what he did last year, Tyler O'Neill is more valuable for the Cardinals then he would be trading him for something else. I don't think yeah. the Cardinals will feel like they're getting equal value back because of the year that O'Neill is having. And they'll think, okay, he's going to be in year five next year. He'll have a year left next year before he becomes a free agent. He'll be highly motivated. We have to find a way to keep him on the field. But we know he can, he can hit 34 home runs for us. I think he will be a Cardinal. I think he'll be the opening day left fielder. Could you imagine at the beginning of the season even saying that this would be happening in a conversation that Harrison Bader would not be here and that Tyler O'Neill would possibly not even be somebody that you would want out there for the Cardinals. Yeah, I mean, this conversation is absolutely wild how quickly things have changed. There's there's no reason to move, move O'Neal right now because, I mean, you, you, you the things you get with him, potential pop, mm-hmm. guaranteed backup level center field defense and gold glove level corner outfield defense. And as a DH now, you have the flexibility that if that pop works, you now have him in the DH rotation as well as your outfield rotation. He is a versatile player because of we don't think about it because he's such a you know muscular dude, but he is again. He's got great speed and he's a mm-hmm. fantastic fielder. And so that opens up the possibility and a 
the versatility. And when you look at the roster, we were just talking about the center field spot. If Carlson's not playing center field, who else is? Right now, O'Neill's really the only guy they got. He's a fast car that's always in the shop. And he's just so finely tuned, maybe too finely tuned. And they have to find a way for him to lose some of the muscle because those muscles are pulled all the time. Mm -hmm. And so... I don't know if you can do that as easily in an off season as you can put the muscle on, but they have to have to find a way for him to eat some Oreos. Fast food. Just get him on yep. a fast food yep. diet. Again, exactly. Call Lance Lynn. Lance, after we like made you lose <laughs> all that weight and you sucked, what did you do to put it back on? Yep. Just get him on the Lance Lynn reverse diet. I can tell you firsthand what happened is when Lance lost all that weight, he was running the stairs at Bush Stadium during the winter with Chris Carpenter. And Carpenter was pushing him really hard. And Lance got skinny. And got bad. And all he had to do was stop. He had to go back to being the old Lance, eating some burgers and stop running steps. Again, just Tyler, stop, you know, leave a couple hang cleans yep. and do a couple six ounce six ounce curls. Egg. That's that's the trade-off. You got it. <laughs> Take it or leave it. Someone other than Vladdy or Buchnevich scores 30 goals for the Blues this year. Jordan Cairo. Uh, take it. I'm gonna take it too. I mean it would it would, it would have to be Cairo, wouldn't it? Yeah, Just the style you're of play not in on is. Robert Thomas. He's, I, don't, I, don't, I, I see him as a 70. He's a true center. I see him as an yeah. 80 point guy, but I see him doing that with 60 assists and, yeah. and, and you know 20 goals. I, I don't know if he's ever going to be the kind of guy who pushes himself to a 30 goal number, mainly because he'd have to shoot like 45 percent on his shot. All he needs, all he needs to, score to do 30. is shoot. Yeah, if, if he shoots, but that's not his style. Capable. And so I think really Kyrie is the only other 30 goal. Potential, yeah, probably. I, I would think that that's likely the case. But yeah, it, yeah I would say Braden Shen had twenty four last year, missed twenty games. I think he's capable of getting there. Sod has had his moments as an NHL player, so maybe he's a guy that could do it. But I, I would say logically, the three that we named, Vladdy. Buchnevich and Kairou are the ones. Well, this will be a big season for Jordan Kairou because really all eyes are on him for stepping up and taking that next step as a player and getting to that next level, just like Robert Thomas did. Right. You want that big contract? Yep. Score, the time. score more than 30 this year. Yes. And Saad did have one 30-goal season, but that was with Columbus way back in 15-16. Thank you, Matthew. Thank you, Randy. And thanks for your text to the Air Comfort Service text line, 65780. It'll be a celebration this weekend. Are the 2022 Cardinals going to be able to celebrate like the 1982 team? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. A fresh perspective on the day's biggest stories. It's Character and Smallman's Fresh Take. Brought to you by Schnucks Rewards. It pays to shop at Schnucks. Download the Schnucks Rewards app today. Out to deep left. Home run number 27. Paul Goldschmidt, a two-run shot. And the 0-1. Arenado sends it out to deep left field. Back to back. It's 8.08 in St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Channel 4's Brooke Grimsley is in for Michelle Smallman. I'm Randy Carricker. And Brooke, before we get to the Cardinals tonight and Goldie and Arenado, who had those home runs there, 
We were just talking about Jordan Walker during the break. He's played seven games in the outfield since the Cardinals made the trade last week in which they sent Harrison Bader to the Yankees. And in those seven games, three in right field, two in center field, two in left field, he has yet to make an error. Uh, He's had a total of seven chances out there. So uh, as athletic as he is, I would be surprised if Jordan Walker weren't able to play the outfield with a, a, rel- a, a level of smoothness that we would expect from a great athlete. Yeah, I mean, he's just so, from the little bit that I've been able to see on social media, he's such an exciting player mm-hmm. to watch. You want that guy here now, obviously. The plan is probably going to see him next year. But I think that's why a lot of people are looking at Tyler Neal because it's been harder for him to stay healthy you have a lot of those options and talents down in the minors just waiting for a chance to come up here. Jordan Walker needs to be up here with the Cardinals. By the way, he has an assist from center field and an assist from right field, and he had not played any other position but third base until last week. He don't, he'd never played the outfield in professional baseball, and he's been really good so far. Well, what we were talking about in the break is that he just seems like a super athlete. It seems like whatever sport he decided to pick in life, he was going to be super yeah. successful at. Yeah. Six, Six foot four. 220 can run. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, tight end, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or, or a power forward, no doubt. All right, tonight you've got Jordan Montgomery against Eric Lauer of the Brewers. And then tomorrow, Adam Wainwright is back on the mound against Corbin Burns. And Adam is much more effective at Bush Stadium than he is on the road. And then on Sunday, Michaelis, who's much better at home than on the road, takes on Alan Ashby. And I, I kind of look at this as a watershed series for the Cardinals and the Brewers. I wouldn't be surprised with the way the Brewers' bullpen has performed since they traded Josh Hader. And the fact that the Cardinals, they they don't see the other two big guys for Milwaukee, Woodruff or Peralta. I I would not be surprised if on Monday morning the Cardinals were three and a half ahead and really take a mental bite out of the Brewers. I, I think this is a huge series for both teams. Well, yeah, this is a huge series because they're separated by half a game. Mm-hmm. And also, too, Randy, during the break, you were saying, yeah, they're going to easily sweep this series. You feel good about that? Well, the offense is rolling. You've got the two big guys. We heard the home runs. This is the first time we've really had Goldschmidt and Arenado in a a year and two-thirds. First time we've ever had those two really hot for an extended period. It's been a couple of weeks now. Yeah. And the Cardinals pitch well at home. They've got their three best starters. If you're going to have a playoff series and you're the Cardinals, you're going to pitch Wainwright, Michaelis, and Montgomery. And those are the three guys you have set up to go against Milwaukee. And I know the, the Brewers just handled t- Tampa. And, and Tampa is a good team. They're still in the hunt in the American League, but they've lost so much without Kiermaier, without Mike Zanino. Right before that, the Brewers had lost five of six to the Pirates and Reds. And I think that's probably closer to where the Brewers are right now than winning a couple of games against Tampa Bay. I'm really excited about Jordan Montgomery, too. Mm -hmm. That's still, you kind of have to pinch yourself with that one because it really doesn't feel real that somehow John Mosellock and the Cardinals were able to kind of pull that off. It was a very under-the-radar little swap that they had there with Harrison Bader. You don't like to see Harrison Bader go, but it was exactly what the Cardinals needed this moment. And I feel like what you're seeing right now, too, with Nolan Arenado and Goldschmidt 
obviously have been fantastic this season, but it almost seems like this group is really re-energized because, remember, Nolan Arenado said going into the All-Star break that there was a missing piece. I know that he's kind of taken that back a little bit Mm -hmm. in some of his more recent comments, but I feel like that was that missing piece that they were needing, and you could tell that they feel really comfortable and happy with where they are at as a group right now. So you add those two left-handed starters, you get, and this is only a two-week snapshot, but you mentioned during the break how great Newt Barr is playing, mm-hmm. and Paul DeYoung is hitting really well. So all of a sudden, some depth that you had at those positions, because Gorman had leveled off offensively, and now he's not starting on a regular basis, and you're able to get really good production out of Newt Barr. You've been trying to mix and match out there. All of a sudden, your offense is pretty deep after... Yeah. A long stretch where if you got past the top five, there was nothing there. The bottom of the lineup is producing now. Well, and also, too, how do you feel about Lars Newbar in the leadoff spot? Obviously, we got to see a little sample of that yesterday. Of course, with his on-base percentage right now, it makes sense as to why you'd want him in that spot. But it feels like that should be Dylan Carlson's job right there. I think long-term, it probably will be. But over the last four weeks, Newbar has a 427 on-base, and he can run. So if the Cardinals put him up there until he cools off, I'm fine with that. And if Carlson is hitting number two, ideally, you'd like to have Edmund at the top of his game leading off and Carlson hitting number two. If it's Newt Barr, Carlson, Goldie, Arenado, O'Neal, I'm good with that too. And then the depth down the lineup, when when you plug in... uh, a guy like DeYoung, who's hitting like he is down in the lineup, and you're able to hit Tommy Edmond number nine, pretty good. The only real weak spot you have that I see right now because of Albert's performance against left-handers, and Gorman is is fine against right-handed pitching, the only real offensive weakness that the Cardinals have is a catcher. Yeah. And with the great defense that Yadi provides and with the energy that he's provided since he came back, I don't have any problem with that either. I feel like I can afford to carry... Yachty's offense because of everything else that he provides to this team. I feel like it's a huge difference just having Yachty back in that Mm -hmm. clubhouse. The energy he brings, the leadership he brings. Even, I'm sure you went back and watched that video with Harrison Bader talking about when he first got to St. Louis that Yachty pulled him aside and said, now you're playing for a team. That just shows you how important Yachty is to that clubhouse culture. And as we know, Having a good clubhouse culture is what gets you into mm-hmm. playing in October, into playing longer than that, winning championships, having a good clubhouse culture where everybody believes and buys in, you have good leadership, and you have that right now with Yachty, Albert, Nolan, and Paul mm-hmm. Goldschmidt. That's a really, really good group you have there. Yeah, and Albert is such a huge force in that clubhouse too, so there's oh, there's a lot yeah. going on there. So. Brooke and uh, Matthew weren't even born when the 82 Cardinals won. <laughs> so let me tell you something about Cardinal history, because I was a kid in the 70s, when the Cardinals were not good. From 1968 until 1982, they never made the playoffs. They had multiple seasons where they finished under 500. They never were great in the bullpen. They made moves, but they weren't moves that the logical moves that the Cardinals make now. So for 1982 to arrive, and 1981 was a strike season. The Cardinals finished with the best record in the league, but didn't make the playoffs. Uh, second best record in the league, best record in the in the division. But they had a split season, so the Cardinals didn't make the playoffs. So 1982, they trade for Ozzie Smith. They've already got, and they trade for Lonnie Smith. They've already got Bruce Suter in their bullpen. And all of a sudden, this team that had the best record in the division the year before 
goes on a 12-game winning streak in April, and they led essentially from wire to wire. The 1982 Cardinals, Brooke, never had more than a three-game losing streak. They had eight different three-game losing streaks, but never had more than a three-game losing streak. And that was a great T-E-A-M. They didn't have an MVP guy. Willie should have won Rookie of the Year, but he didn't. But it was a, a team perfectly put together by Whitey Herzog of exciting players. Their goal at the beginning of the season was to hit more home runs than Roger Maris hit in 1961. They didn't hit for power. But boy, were they fun to watch because they ran and played defense and pitched, and they were just the quintessential Cardinal Way team. I love the reunion weekends. They're great. At Bush Stadium. And I also feel like, too, that the players, obviously you're surrounded by that, that that also somewhat plays into how they play, too, especially Mm -hmm. when you have such a pivotal series like this against the Brewers. Having that around, I don't think it hurts. Not at all. And... It's interesting because I still argue, and it is an argument, but I, I argue that the 1982 Cardinal infield was the best infield in the defensively in the history of baseball. You clearly had the best defensive shortstop. Everybody is yeah. on board with Ozzy being the best defensive shortstop in Major League history. Most people believe that Keith Hernandez is the best defensive first baseman in the history of baseball. So you got a pretty good start there when you have two of the best ever to play their defensive positions. But Tommy Hur would have won a bunch of gold gloves if it wouldn't have been for Ryan Sandberg. Tommy Hur was Ryan Sandberg's equal defensively at second base, but Sandberg was better offensively, and so they got him gold gloves. And Ken Oberkfell was really underrated as a third baseman, and he wasn't a gold glove winner, but he was terrific. So you, you could make an argument that that team was the best defensive infield of all time. Then you go 20 years later to the O2 team after you get Scott Rowland. And you've got Rowland, Renteria, Vina, who was a gold glover, and Albert Pujols, who was a gold glover. So you've got that group. Now move 20 years beyond that, and you've got Arenado, best defensive third baseman mm-hmm. in the game. Paul DeYoung, who's excellent. Tommy Edmond, who's electrifying at second. Might, might be the best defensive second baseman in baseball. I don't know who would be better. And then Goldie, who's right there among the best two or three and is the gold glover in the National League. So 82, 02, 22, you definitely had the best defensive infields of those years, 20 years apart, in St. Louis. Oh, 100%. You you have to like that right now, too. And it's cool that the BFIB like watching defense, too. <laughs> there's, there's fan bases. It would be a shame if this group were in Tampa and you had 11,000 people yeah. watching them, right? Yeah, exactly. Oh, this weekend is going to be electric at Bush Stadium. Yeah, it's going to be great. And just the fact that you still, and granted, we've lost Joaquin Andujar, who was the number one pitcher on that team. Bob Forge, who was just an iconic Cardinal and is at the top of a lot of their pitching lists. Uh, we've lost Daryl Porter. We've lost David Green. But... We always see Ozzy. He's in town. But to see some of the other, and obviously Willie. Hopefully George Hendrick is here. But LaPointe and Stuper were a big part of that uh, pitching staff. To have Keith Hernandez taking off from the Mets to be here. To have Ken Oberkfell back. Uh, Glenn Brummer still lives in the area, but it'll be great to to see him at the ballpark. It is. And whenever we see these groups get together, it's like they've never been apart. Exactly. Well, and I think, too, Ozzy is just such a treat to have around in St. Louis. I think everybody knows that. One, he's such a champion of really promoting St. Louis and a huge golf mm-hmm. fan as well. So he's very involved in bringing huge golf events to the community. Right. 
but also to just to be able to pick his brain and just see what he feels about how things are going on. I would be interested to see what he thinks about how things are going on right now with the Cardinals. I know that he was for a while a huge Tommy Edmond fan. Yeah, he is. A huge Tommy Edmond fan. So I just always love being able to talk to him and be able to pick his brain about where he thinks not only the Cardinals at, but just the game of baseball as well. He has such a great perspective on all that. Should be a fun weekend at the ballpark. By the way, going back to 2 it was Tino Martinez at first. He was pretty good defensively as well. But then... Uh, after that, when you had the the Roland Renteria Albert combination, pretty darn good. That's today's fresh take. Coming up, three questions on Brooks Tennessee Titans on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Do you have any other questions for me, counselor? I don't really understand your question. Are you bore me? I'm right. It's a question. That's a clown question, bro. Then shalt thou count to three. No more, no less. And now, it's time for three questions on the Tennessee Titans. All right, the Tennessee Titans were the number one seed in the AFC last year, had a terrific season, but it was halted in a loss to the eventual AFC champion Cincinnati Bengals and some dramatic changes for the Titans during the course of the offseason. And Matthew has three questions about the Titans for us. Number one. <laughs> the big question I think a lot of Titans fans have, and we have them for the Titans, is there any offense coming from this team from somebody not named Derrick Henry? Uh, hopefully, right? <laughs> because we saw what happened last year. Of course, you don't want to see Derrick Henry injured, um, but it was a huge difference. And But it's a formula that works for the Titans, right? You run the ball, it works out well. Derrick Henry is an absolute beast. To be that size and to be that quick is absolutely amazing. You hope that there's going to be something else. Does it seem like they addressed it? Maybe. You lost the Derrick Henry of wide receivers yes. in moving A.J. Brown. <laughs> yes. I mean, you, you get the ball into his hands, and he was uh, fearsome and almost impossible to bring down. So they get Robert Woods from the Rams. They draft, and we don't know if Traylon Burks from Arkansas is going to be We're still what— We're yeah. Yeah, but he, he, he has the skill set to be what— A.J. Brown was, but I don't know if he'll wind up being the guy. It's always a wait and see. Yeah. I do like the fact that they're going to have Lewin back and hopefully healthy at left tackle. That's a key. They lost Roger Saffold, but they they have they always seem to have a good offensive line there. I think the key, Brooke, obviously is going to be Henry, but it's going to be the advancement rapidly of Traylon Burks. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing is because in Tennessee... We've also had a stretch of bad luck when it comes to quarterbacks and also wide receivers being able to keep some some good talent around. You hope so. I mean, I watched some of his stuff at Arkansas. He's fantastic. It's just a matter of, like you said, can it translate to an NFL field? Because I'm sure something that you've heard from about every college football player is, you know, you have your games where you're not going to play against the best of the best. But now you're going to the NFL where you're every single weekend and week. It is the best of the best that you're facing against. So you have to be at the top of the game. Also, the playbook gets a lot bigger. Mm -hmm. And how much is he going to be able to handle that? Yeah, that's always the big wait and see as well. No doubt, because a lot of guys that play without a playbook like he would have. Just never adjust in the NFL. Well, here's an old name that I'll throw back out there because I remember when I was covering the Titans 
a while ago. I won't say when. Mm-hmm. Just a while ago. It was the Marcus Mariota era, and then we also had um, Doriel Green Beckham, right? We know a him freak, well. Yes, you know him well. A freak athlete, right? Just the perfect wide receiver specimen that you would want out there. But he had a hard time with how big the NFL playbook was. Mm-hmm. That's what you have to wait and see is if, if they can handle that, because it's not just, you know, simple. You have to be better than just a good athlete right. in the NFL. And you hopefully have to put Burks, in a lot of work. Yeah, hopefully Burks will be that guy. DGB, they would only line him up at one spot. And Mizzou didn't have a playbook. He could only line up right. They would never move him around because yes. he was, let's just say he had a limited ability to... You could ask any of the Titans players yeah. then. Everybody knew it. Rockhead. Yeah. Rockhead. Every everybody knew it that he couldn't handle it. Yeah. And he was he he looked like Calvin Johnson. Mm-hmm. But uh there was once a running back. We back in the day, again, going back to the seventies, <laughs> there was a, a draft guru named Joel Bushbaum. And one time he said of a running back, unfortunately, he's not quite as swift upstairs as he is downstairs. <laughs> and that I was, love that. Yeah, that, that, was, uh, that, that was DGB. That is so as true. He is, he is upstairs. Uh, that reminds me that my favorite thing in the world is uh, Martin Kilcoin doing Spags' voice. <laughs> not, the, going, not going there. Not going there. <laughs> Number two. Well, they don't want us to go here if you're a Tennessee fan, but we have to. The question on the offense, is there anybody else who's going to step up? Well, the big question comes to, can the quarterback step up? Taylor Luan's healthy. Radunes is in his second year at right tackle, so they've got the protection. they got a first-round wide receiver. They also got a little help in the fifth round as well in this draft. So... Can Ryan Tannehill be a Super Bowl winning quarterback? I can answer this. No. (laughs) What do you mean? He was great in the playoffs. What are you talking about, Randy? Oh, you throw a pick in the last minute of a playoff game at home. You're the number one seed. Man alive. That I just so, I just like my body literally shriveled up with you I, bringing back that memory. It I, was so frustrating because as a Titans fan, you knew it was coming. You knew that mm-hmm. this was the Tannehill that we all knew, right? Yeah. And he just he's in a perfect situation with a good defense and with the running game. But it's guys that make plays like that at big moments, bad plays like that. He led the league in passing a few years ago, but cost him a playoff game then. He is just not a guy. I don't. You can't rely on him no, in those situations. You can't win because of him. Exactly. You can win games with him, but not because of him. That's the thing there is when, you, when your guys best attribute is that he doesn't make mistakes, then those kind of plays in the playoffs are so amplified. Listen, if Patrick Mahomes is throwing 50 touchdowns in the regular season and then gets picked off in a playoff game, you're going to remember it, but it's not going to be this huge indictment against who he is as a quarterback. But unfortunately, when that's your one thing with Tannehill, which is, I don't make mistakes, I manage this game, and then you blow it, that's all we can think about. That's the the best point right there, is he manages the game. Derrick Henry is the reason that you win games. Clearly. But at the end of the day, as we know, the NFL is a quarterback lead. You league. You need a franchise quarterback. Tannehill, they want him to be the franchise quarterback. He's not. Clearly isn't. And he is he's pretty good. But even in the AFC, I mean, you look around, all of the quarterbacks in the AFC West, you've got obviously Josh Allen in the in the East, in the north. You've got Burrow. I think we could put Lamar ahead of him. Uh even with what has happened with Matt Ryan mm-hmm. in the past, if I were the Titans, I think I'd rather have Matt Ryan right now than Tannehill. He's in the middle of the pack in the, in the conference. 
Yeah. This is why I'm putting all of my imaginary chips right now in front of me on Malik Willis. I, I need this to work out. I want it to work out. I like seeing a little bit of a glimpse of him mm-hmm. in that preseason game last night. I know he was pulled because he wasn't passing, but I kind of liked that they called him out on that a little bit because I know that some people say, oh, oh, he was called out by the coach. No, mm-hmm. sometimes they do that on purpose to really push and motivate you and say clearly, this is what we want out of you. And I like seeing that. I'm intrigued to see what he becomes, too. He's exciting. If, I wonder to if watch. he could be like Lamar. Yeah. Number three. Speaking of players taking a, a little bit of a jump for the Titans on defense, the defensive lineman Jeffrey Simmons took a big jump last year from three sacks. Anytime you take a jump over that like eight, seven sack threshold as a three, four defensive end or a defensive tackle, that shows something. He got eight and a half last year. So is Jeffrey Simmons about to become a household name in the NFL? I hope so. He said that he is leaner, quicker, and sharper coming into mm-hmm. the season. He was already scary. You would kind of hope that he would take that next step. He definitely has the ability to be a dominant player because he can rush the passer and he's great against the run. There's really no reason for him to not become a household name. He should be a guy that gets 10 a year. And I, they had uh, Jarrell Casey, right, for years. Yeah. Was a great oh, defensive tackle. Fantastic. There. And... Unfortunately, they kind of wasted his career. I think Simmons is a guy that can ascend and absolutely be a perennial pro bowler and a guy that we talk about as one of the best in the league for a long time. Yes, and scary. That's what you want. Yep. You don't know where he is. You have to always look out for him. That's what you need out there. Also, Randy, I know you're a big fan of that secondary. They got Hooker back there. Yeah, well, whenever you have a guy named Malik Hooker, it's pretty exciting. Right, Amani, Amani Hooker. Yeah, <laughs> Malik is Don Dallas. Yeah, Malik is Don Dallas. You mentioned yesterday how, how yeah. excited you were about Malik Hooker on the Cowboys, and I'm like, well, they got Amani Hooker on the Titans. You got to be pumped about that, Randy. So, in the very first Monday Night Football game ever, back in 1970, it was the Browns and the Jets, and the Browns had a wide receiver named Fair Hooker, and Don Meredith, one of the broadcasters, said, "No such thing." No such thing. Fair Hooker. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Thank you, Matthew. Thank you, Randy. Coming up on 101 ESPN. Stick around. <laughs> it's the fight. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the fight on Character and Smallman. In the red corner, average Joe Listener. And in the blue corner, the undisputed king of Morning Drive. Please welcome Randy Carricker. Welcome back to Carricker and Smallman. That sound means just one thing. It's time for the fight. I'm Matthew Rocchio in the studio with me right now. Brooke Grimsley filling in for Michelle Smallman as she is on vacation. She will be back on Monday when Randy actually leaves for a vacation. So we'll have some more <laughs> uh, special guests in the studio tomorrow. What's our special guest today is Brooke Grimsley. Brooke, you've heard the fight a little bit. This is your first time in studio for it. Are you excited? Yeah, I had to get a little pumped up here. <laughs> I'm excited and also a little bit nervous. It's it, the fight can be a little bit nervous, but don't worry. If if he doesn't like the questions, it's all on me. You have nothing. To, you have nothing to be nervous about. You just got to read and 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 laugh along. Uh, the only people who have to be nervous are me, Randy, and obviously Craig, our challenger. He beat Randy yesterday three to one. It was a very difficult fight. Great, it was a great job by Craig. Craig, you're back for round two. How you feeling today? I'm feeling great. Good to be here and uh, ready for some more 
odd and strange questions. I went odd a little bit strange. more. I went a little bit more down the middle today, and 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 I think you'll I think you'll see that. And go, you know what? Let's just go ahead and kick it right off. Brooke, question number one. Let's hear it. All right, Craig. We all know Adam Wainwright hit a home run in his first career at bat. What current car, current Cardinal fielder also homered in his first career at bat? Good. Is it Yadier Molina, Dylan Carlson, or Paul DeYoung? Paul DeYoung. All right, David Tyree might have caught the most famous catch in the Giants' two Super Bowl wins over the Patriots. But in that first one, who caught the game-winning touchdown? Was that Mario Manningham, Amani Toomer, or Plaxico Burris? Uh, let's go with the first one. Manningham? Yes. All right. Question three. Ricky Henderson played for four of the five California Major League Baseball teams. What is the only one he didn't suit up for? San Francisco Giants, Anaheim, California Angels, L.A. Dodgers. Let's go with the Anaheim Angels. All right, on this day in 1994, the MLB players walked off the job and officially started the 94 strike that would lead to the cancellation of the World Series. What is the only other season since 1903 that didn't have a World Series? Is that 1942, 1904, or 2020? Choices again, 1903 and 19... All right, we'll confirm the scores. Is that what you got as well? Mm-hmm. Perfect, perfect. Confirming the scores, we are going to uh, signal Randy in. Yeah, there he looks up at me from his phone. Craig, how do you feel you did today? Uh, not as good as yesterday. <laughs> that might might be a might be a good call. Well, Craig, we have you on for <laughs> a second time today. I didn't ask you yesterday. What do you do? Where are you from? Uh, I, I live here in the, in, the, in St. Louis, uh, and I'm, I'm a one of my hats that I wear. I'm a full time chauffeur for. A transportation limousine company here in the area. There you oh, go. Nice. Okay, then. Well, that, that's got to be a that's got to be a fun one. I, 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 although I guess driving out on these highways with St. Louis drivers might not be the <laughs> might not be the most enjoyable job in the world. I feel like you have a yeah. lot of great stories. I do. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we bring Randy and Randy. Say hi to Craig. He beat you yesterday. Craig, good morning. How you doing? Good. How are you doing, Randy? I'm doing well. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. All right, Randy, I'm are you playing. ready to jump into the fight? I'm ready. All right, Brooke, take it over. Number one. We all know Adam Wainwright hit a home run in his first career at bat. What current Cardinal fielder also homered in his first career at bat? Yadier Molina. I don't, I don't need the, yeah, he doesn't need the options. He's, oh. he's mega mind. He's mega mind. He locks in. Get those. Uh, so a Cardinal fielder hit a home run in his first at bat. That would be, I would think, Paul DeYoung with that uh, home run that he hit in his first at-bat in Colorado when he came up and was late and uh, hit one at uh, Coors Field. I'll go with Paul DeYoung. Called the stadium. My good Lord. David Tyree (laughs) might have caught the most famous pass in the Giants' two Super Bowl wins over the Patriots, but in that first Super Bowl win, who caught the game-winning touchdown for the Giants? So I'm wearing sweats today. Mm -hmm. Not wearing fashionable sweats, (laughs) right? I know exactly where you're going. 
but I would never carry a gun in my sweats when I go to the club. And I would never shoot myself because I was carrying a gun in my sweats. Plexico Burris, who did indeed shoot himself in the leg with a gun that he was carrying in his sweats, wound up going to jail because he was carrying a gun (laughs) in New York. Uh, it It was Plexico Burris who caught that touchdown pass and... Thank you, Plexico. You should have never had to go to jail because you saved America. Again, having the gun in the pants is is, is weird. The real jailable offense is wearing sweatpants to the club. Uh, Brooke, I have, courtesy of Michelle Smallman a few Christmases ago, a New England Patriots 18-0 and 0 patch sitting in our office, <laughs> uh, in my cubicle. And uh, they, they made those things, but thanks to Plexico Burris, it really didn't happen. I love yeah. it. Number three, Rick. Oh, sorry. Ricky Henderson played for four of the five California Major League Baseball teams. What is the only one he didn't suit up for? Well, let's see. He played for the Dodgers. He played for the Padres. He never played for the Giants, though. Right? He would have played for the Angels. Um, so, yeah, Dodgers, Padres, Giants, Angels. Played a little bit for the Athletics. And the, oh, yeah, the Ace. <laughs> on, on this day in 1994, the MLB players walked off the job and officially started the 94 strike that would lead to the cancellation of the World Series. What is the only other season since 1903 that didn't have a World Series? It was 1904 because the Giants, I believe, <laughs> their owner didn't think the American League was very good. And so he. Um, he said, I'm playing against them. They, they suck. So that that's why, that, that was the reason that they didn't have a World Series is because the owner of the National League champions thought the American League champions sucked. This, 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 is, this, is, just, this is just what Randy does after a day like yesterday. This is, yeah. Go crazy, folks! Go crazy! And still champion of the fight, Randy Carricker. Just win, baby. Sorry about you, Craig. Randy got the jack four to one. He beat you. It was a it was a good showing that got you here to round two. But unfortunately, Randy put on a showing of himself today. Thank you so much for joining us, Craig. Appreciate it. Great job, Randy. You have a guys. Have a great day. Thanks. Have a great weekend. We appreciate it. There it is. That is Craig. And let's go through the answers. You heard them all. Let's go through them really quickly. Adam Wainwright hit a home run in his first career at bat. Love that stat. Paul DeYoung also did it. And Randy was 100% right. May 28th, 2017, in Coors, one at bat, one home run for Paul DeYoung. David Tyree, obviously the famous catch. Roddy Harrison couldn't get it away from him. But Plaxico Burris reeled in the game winner in that first Super Bowl. Ricky Henderson did not play for the San Francisco Giants. Half season for the Angels. And then finished his career with the Dodgers. And, of course, obviously a lot of time with the Athletics there in the middle and on this day in 1994 the strike essentially began and it led to the cancellation of the world series randy had the story 100 correct the new york giants owner refused to play the boston americans in the 1904 world series the only time other than 94 that it was canceled randy wins the fight four to one win 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 all i do is win 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 oh it's too hot feeling hot 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 i'm unstoppable today There we go. Unloading the clips. Well, I'm, I'm leaving Unlo- for vacation <laughs> after today, so i got to unload the clips. Yeah, i got to do that. Can I just say, there's a lot of impressive moments from all of that. One, Randy just stand, stands there and is just locked in. 
into all of that. And also to Rockio, the fact that too you don't give it away because I maybe it's just me doing interviews all the time. I want to be like, yeah, that's correct. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so, but I had to like hold myself back a little bit because I just would be like, oh wait, no, that's not the point of this game right now. I have to I'm just always, not. I have a terrible poker face. I'm Absolutely worried, terrible. I'm always worried about tells when he's yeah. when he's when he's thinking out his answer to. I'm always worried that I'm giving him tells when he's yeah, like. I, I just have to like look out the window. In, in 06, <laughs> did that happen? And I'm like, oh, I can't give it away facially. Yeah. I could never be a poker player. Hey, thanks for joining us on the fight. Rick Ankiel is next with Brooke and Randy on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Channel 4's Brooke Grimsley is in for Michelle Smallman. I'm Randy Carricker. The Cardinals open a three-game series with the Brewers tonight at Busch Stadium. Redbirds a half game ahead as we sit here on August 12th. And we head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. And Rick Ankiel, who does analysis for the Cardinals on Bally Sports, kind enough to join us. Uh, good morning, Rick. This is Randy. How you doing? I'm fantastic. Top of the morning to you. Hey, it's always great to talk to you. And I want to get your impressions of what the Cardinals were able to accomplish at the trade deadline. What do you what did you think of Jordan Montgomery and Quintana in Montgomery's first start? He goes tonight in Quintana's first two. Uh, I mean, look, um, I, mean, I don't think it's a secret that we needed pitching more than we needed anything else. And, I, you know, just to start, you, you want that big splash of Soto. And I think every organization wanted it. But, like I said, we addressed our needs. Um, and, you know, the first starts that they had, they looked fantastic. And it seems like, you know, I think the Cardinals are picking up on, you know, that mojo. Because when you do get help at the deadline, it, it starts to give you momentum towards, all right, and these guys are going to help us. And here we go. We can make a run towards the playoffs. Also, too, just this past week, week we had kind of like an off, I would say an off series with Colorado. I think people were expecting the Cardinals to come in and do a little bit better than that outcome. Do you think that was just an off game for Miles Michaelis? Is it the high altitude? Should we expect anything like that moving forward for him? I know that he said you just kind of have to tip your cowboy hat and move on with the tumbleweeds. But what did you what was your impression of that game? Um, whenever it's in Colorado, I don't put much stake in it because the ball doesn't move the same. It is different. Um, you know, to me, I'm not going to hang my hat uh, just to go on the cowboy hat references here. I'm not going <laughs> to hang my hat and say this is what this is what the starting rotation is because they didn't have a good series in, in Colorado. Hank, by the way, I want to go back to Soto. You were with the Nationals organization for a while. Did you cross paths with him? I hear about what a great kid he is. Did you ever get to run across uh, Juan Soto? I did, yeah. Um, he's he's awesome. Uh, love the guy. Um, not only that, but I mean, uh, the talent just speaks for itself. I, I to me, uh, he's the best young hitter in the game. The way that he uses his legs, you know, when you talk about watching hitters from the ground up, like he is the the prime example of of how to do that. And not only that, I think that's that's one of the big reasons too that he's so good at hitting the high fastball because a lot of left handers aren't, and there's there's nothing that he can't get to. What do you think, too? We spoke about this earlier because a lot of chatter is happening right now with, you know, Tyler O'Neill. You know, should the Cardinals look elsewhere? You have a lot of talent behind him, obviously, in the minors with a lot of players who could come up and be great for the Cardinals outfield. What do you think about Tyler O'Neill and the position that he's in right now? You know, I think for him, it's just, you know, he's been hurt. He hasn't he hasn't had a chance to come and find his rhythm. And even when the season started, right, he was dealing with 
Um, was he going to sign a, a multi-year deal? Uh, is it? And then you go to arbitration, and those things aren't easy. They can take a toll on a player. So when I've looked at it, I just feel like he just hasn't been able to catch his rhythm. You know, yeah. um, injuries plagued it, and and you know sometimes it's hard to come in and find your timing. And now you're pressing because he knows that there's players behind him that can play, right? So now he's trying to go. You show up this year thinking, man, maybe this is my time to sign that multi-year deal and be set to, man, I need to, to get my game on before somebody else is playing for me. And Rick, you mentioned with Soto, with the with the great legs, and Tyler's problems seem to be below the waist. And uh, like you were talking about, if you're a hitter and you don't have a base, it can really have an effect on you, even like with, with Tyler with a hamstring or something like that, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, if you're not able to, to use your body in the way you've always felt like you, you've had to do, and this happens throughout a season to hitters where you try to make adjustments and sometimes maybe you become a little bit more handsy because you have to, uh, but sometimes what happens in doing that is you learn your, you lose your ability to cover breaking pitches out over the plate. Now all of a sudden there's, you know, you're, you're only able to cover a smaller portion of the strike zone than you were before the injury. And some guys just have it. And I, I thought last year was the real Tyler O'Neill when we saw him. He he just seems to have great talent. Obviously, when he hits the ball, it goes. I'm kind of I'm kind of convinced, Rick, that when he is healthy, last year is the real Tyler O'Neill. Yeah, I I second you on that. Um, I think the kid can absolutely play. It's just about getting in there and finding that rhythm. I'm I'm on I'm on the same page as you with that one. And how do you feel about this series? Obviously, a huge series between the Cardinals and Brewers this weekend. What is your feelings going into it? Randy's all in on the Cardinals sweeping the series. What do you feel about it? I think that it'd be great if they did sweep the series. Uh, I think the rivalry is there. I think it's going to be a good match between the two. It's not life or death, but look, I mean, you want bragging rights, and you want to feel like we can beat this team no matter what. So to me... Um, you know, it is a big series it, it, because you. this is your rivalry in the division. It's a team that you're trying to beat, and you want to make a statement. And, Rick, you've been on both sides of those, winning those series, those big series, and not winning them or getting swept. How much of an effect does it have on teams? And I know there's still, what, 50 games left. But how much of an effect does it have on you when you, A, win it, or, B, get swept? I mean, it's you know, looking at it from a momentum standpoint, if you could go in there and to even win the series, you don't have to sweep it, but you want to make that statement. Like we're the team we're, we're a half a game ahead. We want to be more than that. When this series is over, we want to show you that we are the dominant team in this division. Um, if you happen to lose the series, obviously you're going to take it day by day. And like you said, you know, there's a lot of games left, but in the back of your mind, you're still thinking, you know, we're going to be against We're going to be fighting against those guys the whole way through here. So you want to make that statement and win this series. How do you feel about the Cardinals winning the division? I like it. Um, I, I like their chances of winning the division. We needed pitching help. We got it. Um, you know, they, they seem to be feeding off of that. Um, if you take out Colorado, and I think, you know, I think when they look at Hater being traded away to San Diego, um, I don't think that Milwaukee's giving up by any means, but I do think it, it, it you know, it puts a little bit of uh, feel good in your pocket. Like, hey, that's one less nasty guy we got to face out of their pin. And it almost feels like you, you got the edge, especially at the trade deadline, the way it went. A couple more things for Rick Anfield, Ankiel, former Cardinal, now with the Bally Sports, an analyst for Bally Sports. Hey, what do you see when you watch Dylan Carlson play? Um, I see a player, man. Um, you know, he's smart. 
you know, he's able to move over to center and do, and, and do what he's been doing there. Uh, I, I think, you know, moving, I just see a, I just see a really good player. And there's no telling how good he can actually get. You still got to remember how young he is. Um, and he's getting better. He's, you know, it seems like he's just getting better by the week, by the month. Um, so, I, I, you know, I see a really good player. That's what I see. For you, was it easier to play center field or, or a corner? It was easier for me to play center. Um, but, um, you know, I started pretty much in center. Um, you know, when you're in the corners of the outfield, the ball will have a tendency to move towards the line. So if it comes off a right-handed bat, it's slicing away from you. If it comes off a left-hander's bat, you know, it's getting pulled and hooking away from you. Where in center, you have more true reads, and you just get a better jump on the ball because you're behind the pitcher. You can see what pitch is being thrown, and just you get a quicker step to, you know, to get a jump. So I found it easier playing center personally. Down the stretch here, outside of Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arnato, who do you see as a player that could really be a difference maker for the Cardinals? Ooh, that's a great question. Um, well, let's go with the new two additions of the rotation um, because that's you know that's what we needed was pitching help, and I and I think we, if they can step up and really become you know help you know, help this team in the rotation. Everybody else around them is going to get that much better. Plus you're going to make the bullpen better too. So I think for confidence reasons, for momentum, you know, I'm going to go with, with Montgomery and Quintana. Can I pick two? Does that count? That's the, the absolutely. Yeah. That's a, a, right. a package deal. Rick Ankiel, you going fishing today? <laughs> uh, nope. Golf at golf at one o'clock. <laughs> that's great to hear. How are you hitting them? I'm hitting them pretty good. I'm pretty excited about my golf swing. It's been getting better, for sure. You're awesome. Hey, it's always great to talk to you. Thanks so much for the time. We appreciate it. Enjoy that golf game, and we'll be seeing you soon. All right. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. You too. Take care. Rick Ankeel, one of the all-time greats with us on 101 ESPN. Brooke, when he retired from pitching, I had the U.S. national team, his U.S. national team coach on the radio, and asked about his move from pitching to hitting. And he said, hey, we wanted him to pitch. But when he wasn't pitching, this is the, the all the best players from all across the country. Mm-hmm. He said when he wasn't pitching, and he was our best pitcher, he was our best hitter. He was the natural. Rich, Rick Ankiel was the natural. There's a movie about it. If you watch it, that's what Rick Ankiel was wow. as a player. Unbelievable. Unfortunately, the femme fatale gut shot is just the yips. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and he didn't have to wait like 18 years like no, 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 That's no. a good thing, too. Uh, Brooke Grimsley from Channel 4 is in for Michelle Smallman. I'm Randy Carricker. Coming up on 101 ESPN, the Cardinals get thumped yesterday in Colorado. But we're going to hear what Rick Ankiel had to say about that coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carricker and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Opinions matter. Time now for today's big thing with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by Seidenstricker Noby John Deere. Find them online at snpartners.com. Whenever it's in Colorado, I don't put much stake in it because mm-hmm. the ball doesn't move the same. It is different. You know, to me, I'm not going to hang my hat uh, just to go on the Cowboy Hat references here. I'm not going <laughs> to hang my hat and say this is what this is what the starting rotation is because they didn't have a good series in, in Colorado. 
That's Rick Ankeel in our last segment here on 101 ESPN. The Cardinals do lose 16-5 in the opener in Denver. They win 9-5 and then uh, allow eight runs yesterday in an 8-6 loss. And weird things do happen in Denver. And that team, Brooke, is always different in Denver. They're four games over 500 so far this year at Coors Field and well below 500 as uh, they head out on the road. The Rockies 32 and 28 at home, 18 and 36 on the road, and the atmosphere has something to do with it, the altitude has something to do with it. But if you're the Cardinals, what you have to do is put that behind you quickly because you yes. do have one of your biggest series of the year in my opinion starting tonight and you have the right pitchers going. You have your big three going against Milwaukee. Well, yeah, you have to set the tone early. I I really like Jordan Montgomery, obviously, so far. So this will be a huge series for him as well. But, you know, I like what Rick had to say about Colorado because, look, it is different. There's a reason that a lot of athletes will go and train there during the offseason because you have to – it's such a tough environment to get used to and get acclimated to that it can actually help you from a performance standpoint or hurt you from a performance Mm. standpoint. So – I, I didn't like that the, the Cardinals lost that series because I hope that that's not going to be a series that comes back and bites them a little bit later on, especially with how close things are right now. Here's the way I look at it, though. Let's look at it kind of as a portfolio. I expected the Cardinals to lose two of three to New York, mm-hmm. to the Yankees. Yeah. Well, they, they sweep that series. That was and a great series. It was. And then I expected them to win two of three in... Colorado. So I expected the Cardinals to go 500 in those six games. Mm-hmm. They went four and two in those six games. So that's a, a net positive for me. If I t- take both series in regards to what I expected and what they wound up becoming. Yeah. So I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna go sunshine lollipops here, <laughs> and I'm gonna say hey, we are on this we're, Friday we're, morning. We're, yeah, we're yes. coming out ahead. Yes, exactly. That is true. I think that that is really beneficial that they were able to play that well and maybe games that you weren't expecting them to. You know, with that series in Colorado, we'll just say that was a one-off, weird, high-altitude situation there, and hopefully mm-hmm. everything's fine with Miles Michaelis and his cowboy self. Yeah, right. He'll get back on that pony, as he said, on Sunday. Yeah, and he will pitch <laughs> on Sunday. And yes. He's, as we noted earlier, he and Wayno are both much better at home. And that forces, and by the way, the Cardinals as a team, 35-20 and 20 at home, 26-30 and 30 on the road. So mm-hmm. winning the division, I think winning the division is imperative in regards to making the playoffs. But you don't want to start on the road if you're the Cardinals as a wild card team. Even if you could beat out a San Diego or yeah. a Philadelphia, you don't want to have your big two guys, Wayno and Michaelis, or your team in general starting on the road. No, no. You you definitely don't. As, I mean, as you mentioned there, the record at home speaks for itself. Mm-hmm. That's what you want. You want that competitive advantage, and that's what you're playing for right now. So that's why this series is so huge for so many reasons, and they have a chance to really jump ahead in front of the Brewers. And also, as we already went over, the Brewers have a really tough schedule coming up. Yeah. So you kind of hope that that works against them as well. They've got the Dodgers seven times over the course of the next 10 days, next two weeks, I guess. And so they'll have their hands full. And... Fortunately for us, the Dodgers still are threatened, not as much by the Padres, but they want to have the best record in the league, too. And they're only five games ahead of the Mets, and that's another team that the (laughs) Brewers have to play. So 
Unless the Cardinals just collapse or the Brewers go on an incredible, unexpected run against great teams, the Cardinals should win this division. If if they don't, if the Cardinals don't win the division, something catastrophic has happened for them yes. or something magical has happened for the Brewers. Exactly. And I feel like right now, another point that Rick brought up is that the momentum seems to be in the Cardinals' favor right now. They made a move at the trade deadline that really seems to have energized the team. You have Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt continuing to stay hot. Mm-hmm. You kind of hope that Lars Newbar, who's having a fantastic month, by the way, I know that we're still early on in this, but he's kind of carrying on from July. Lose Lars Newtbar, you hope he stays hot as well. I feel like he's a big spark difference maker that we could see down the stretch here for the Cardinals. You got to like where everything's at right now. My only big question is just who is that lefty you trust coming out of the Cardinals bullpen? That's still kind of a big talking point mm-hmm. at this moment. But once again, weird things happen in Colorado. Maybe that's just an off stretch there for the bullpen and with Hennessy's Cabrera. That is Channel 4's Brooke Grimsley in for Michelle. I'm Randy, and that's today's big thing. Coming up, 13 days left in the stretch in which we said the Cardinals needed to dominate. What do they need to do the rest of the way? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I'm Randy and Brooke a couple of weeks ago after the Cardinals played their first game against Washington I looked at the schedule through August 25th 25 games that the Cardinals had at that point and I said you know this is a stretch where the Cardinals could go 18 and 7 and if they do that they'll really have a leg up on the division because I've thought since the beginning of the season tell me if you agree that the key for the Cardinals to making the playoffs was going to be taking advantage of the schedule that allows them to play Cincinnati, Pittsburgh, and Chicago a lot. And they have that coming up. Do you agree with that? If, if, they, oh, if they play well against those teams, they're going to make the playoffs. 100%. 100%. As you said earlier, I mean, it's just a little bit of an icing on the cake that they were able to beat some teams that maybe you weren't exactly expecting them to, mm-hmm. like the Yankees. That was, to me, I feel like that was a series that we will look back on in the season where that was a huge turning point for the Cardinals where you can really hang your head on, yeah, this was a big moment for them. So since that Friday a couple of weeks ago, the Cardinals have gone 8-3, and and Mm -hmm. granted they had these two losses, and they still have 14 games to go. And to get to my 18-7, and they would need to go 10-4. and You've got the three games this weekend. Then you've got Colorado here, and we've already mentioned the Cardinals good at home, the Rockies bad at home, so the Cardinals should be able to handle that one. You go to Arizona, and that's a team that's really struggling. The Cubs, even though they didn't sell off Contreras and Happ, You have five games against the Cubs. I think that's going to be the key. There's always weird things that happen at Wrigley. And the last of those games would be on August 25th. I really think if the Cardinals can go 10-4 and over their next 14 and get past a mini gauntlet that has three at Atlanta before you have Cincinnati, the Cubs here, Washington and Pittsburgh again, and then you get Milwaukee here again, I think these next two weeks for the Cardinals can determine whether or not they win the division relatively easily or if they're going to have to do something against Pittsburgh in the last week of the season. Yeah, I mean, 
this is where you take advantage of the schedule. You have all the momentum right now, minus how that series went in Colorado. But mm-hmm. once again, I'm just going to go with what Rick said, where it's just a off series there. So I'm good with that. But still, you just have to take advantage of the schedule and everything right now. And also, too, playing at Bush Stadium obviously is a huge benefit for the Cardinals, yeah. especially down here in the stretch. Yeah, and being 35-20 and 20 at home and getting the Reds here, getting the Pirates here, getting the Cubs here, getting the Rockies here. Yeah, that is it, – it. nothing is easy but relative to everybody else in baseball. The Cardinals have the second easiest schedule mm-hmm. of all the teams. Only Seattle has an easier schedule. And the Cardinals, in addition to that, the Brewers have, I think, the 12th easiest schedule. So they're about number 18 in Major League Baseball in large part because of those games left against the Dodgers and Mets. But the fact that you only have two good teams in the division benefits the Cardinals. But the the other part of it is, is the Cardinals are actually pretty good, and they should be able to handle those teams. And talking about momentum with Rick, I think it's important when you talk about not, not, not just do the Brewers have hard series against the Yankees, Mets, and Giants still left. All seven of those Dodgers are this month. Yeah. They mm-hmm. could get they could if, if they go one and six against that Dodgers, we could be talking about them being three or four games back if the Cardinals follow through with their run the way they should against their schedule. They could be four or five games back by the end of August. And now all of a sudden September just looks completely different and the momentum for these two teams is just going the complete opposite directions. Personally I, and I'm sure, hopefully, a lot of Cardinals fans agree with this. I would like that situation where it's a little bit more relaxing mm-hmm. <laughs> as opposed to having to do a 17-game win streak uh, to feel a little bit more yeah. comfortable about things. Here's the other thing. If you could, over the course of the next three weeks, build up a substantial lead. If you're six, seven games up heading into September, maybe more, all of a sudden you play Albert Pujols more. And mm-hmm. you give him the opportunity to get to either 696 or maybe 700. And the likelihood of that happening is not great, but you give him more of an opportunity to do it because you can. And the other part of it is you get a chance, and this is the most important part. Albert would be a great ancillary aspect to this. But you get to set up your pitching for the playoffs. You get to rest guys. You get to get your bullpen fixed. You can pitch guys that you ordinarily wouldn't pitch and not pitch the big three of Helsley, Gallegos, Cabrera. Yes. If you can go through September and prepare your team for October 8th or whenever the playoffs start, that's such a huge advantage. And then what you do, if and this is, this is one of the negatives of having a rookie manager, Tony knew how to have a big lead and still prepare a team for a playoffs because he's been through it a million times. As a rookie manager, Ali Marmol has some help with Skip Schumacher and William McGee. People have been through those wars. But when you're a manager, it's different in trying to play games with intensity where intensity isn't necessary. Yeah, I think so. I I think also, as you mentioned there, managing the bullpen is going to be a huge difference. We saw how much it mattered, obviously, last year during the playoffs. Mm-hmm. This is going to be huge for how Ollie manages this moving forward, is how he's able to really get that bullpen together and secured, because that also plays into a big part of how the rest of your team and their confidence level goes moving forward as well. And right now, if you didn't hear, yesterday Jack Flaherty threw 35 pitches in a rehab start down in Memphis, and he'll probably get four more. So we're looking at 20 days, probably around September 10th, where he would get the opportunity to start at the major league level, give the Cardinals three or four starts down the stretch. 
what a different animal the Cardinals are if it's Michaelis, well, Wainwright, Michaelis, Montgomery, Flaherty. If if Jack Flaherty is available for you as a starter in the playoffs, then all of a sudden you're a real threat. Because Flaherty, yeah. at his best, can go toe-to-toe with a Scherzer, with a DeGrom, with a Kershaw, with uh, an Urias, with, with all of those guys. Jack Flaherty is number one, number one. And if he is healthy and on his game, as we saw in 2019, he can pitch well against anybody. You can't count on it. It's a big if. But if you have him... He's something. He's a to difference have. maker. He really is. I I take only about seventy percent of the things I hear from minor league games with a hundred percent, you know, with a hundred percent accuracy. But for what I'm seeing for his first initial velocity reports, it's yeah, a month. Yeah, it's gonna it's gonna need to be multiple oh, yeah. rehab starts because well, the velocity yesterday apparently wasn't wasn't much further out of the. You know, it was pretty much stuck in that like 92, 93 range. Yeah, he needs to build himself up, and that's what didn't happen last time. And that's why he needs to throw on the side after two days after a, a start and needs to throw on a regular basis and build himself up because this essentially for Jack was starting the opener of spring training, maybe mm-hmm. maybe his last bullpen before spring training. He He's not going to get, well, he... He's not going to get the six weeks that you get in spring training. He might get five because he threw last week, and hopefully he'll get hit, get four weeks here. But at best, he is going to be starting on opening day. His opening day will be September 10th, September 15th, right in that area. That's and then, wild to think about. Yeah, and then his third or fourth start of the season w- would be game his first game in the playoffs. But if he's... Physically, 100%. When Jack Flaherty has been healthy for the Cardinals, he's pitched well. And you just hope that the shoulder is what it has been in the past. Yeah. I mean, you hate to see these injuries pop up. And also, this is something that I also wonder with, too, with the way that the whole lockout went. Obviously, you know, we had the players had to do their own rehabbing. They had to do their own routine. They didn't have teams help. They were not even allowed to have any of the clubs help whatsoever so you I, you almost have to think does that af- did that have an effect on what's going on with some of the injuries that we've been seeing especially with Jack Flaherty yeah if the cardinals would have had access to and communication with Jack Flaherty there's absolutely no way that they wouldn't have known about the shoulder oh, until yeah. spring training started because he was feeling it in at the beginning of January when he threw and that's just one of the ridiculous things about that lockout. Hopefully baseball and the Players Association can learn something from that. Because yes. that was stupid on their part. Mm-hmm. And it's all their fault. It's and not it only hurts Jack the Flaherty's players. fault at all. Yeah. And, and your investment. Jack Flaherty's a big part of the Cardinals. Yeah. And he's a, he's a part of your, a big part of your business. Same thing with Tatis with San Diego. How can you do that? How can you have such big parts of your entire business operation and say, no, we aren't even going to talk to them when they could be damaged goods. It's ridiculous. Yeah. So baseballs can be, they can be stupid. That's Brooke. I'm Randy. Coming up, you're killing me, Smalls. I'm 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. What's totally killing Smalls right now? You're killing me, Smalls. You're killing me, Smalls, with Michelle Smallman on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by Mobile on the Run. On the Run is your summertime snack and sip store. It is time for... You're killing me, Smalls. 
All right, Brooke. Antonio Brown, he is prolific <laughs> on the social medias, and he took to the Twitter yesterday and put up a meme with a photo of himself in a Tampa Bay Buccaneers jersey, and he wrote, My biggest regret in my career doesn't involve calling my GM a cracker, or showing up to Raiders camp late in a hot air balloon with frozen feet, or throwing rocks at that UPS driver, and it definitely doesn't involve taking my shirt off and doing a victory lap around the Jet Stadium mid-game while throwing up deuces. My biggest regret is that I'll never get to see me, Antonio Brown, play a game live. Sure, I can watch a game afterwards, but I can't imagine what that was like for you all to see something like that. Like watching the Beatles or Jesus perform at Red Rocks. I wonder when Jesus does a show at Red Rocks, which would have been very cool, but what kind of show does he do? Like, is it a comedy skit? Or does he do music? Does he play an instrument? <laughs> Comes out like Gallagher bashing some watermelons? <laughs> maybe. Maybe he just walks on some water. I don't know. Oh, that'd I, be a good show. Yeah. So, you know, Penn and Teller, that kind of stuff? I don't know. He's, no, he, he walks up to the... He, not only, he walks on the water, then he turns it to wine, and then he gives oh, it to all the fans. gives it to everybody, yeah. So, here's the big question, though. Antonio Brown and Jesus on the same plane? What do you think? <laughs> On the same plane. Well, he says he says that watching himself play football would be akin to watching Jesus perform at Red Rocks. I well, honestly, <laughs> I honestly thought when I saw this because I saw this before, I just saw like the the screen grab, mm-hmm. not his actual tweet. I thought this was something that was fake. <laughs> that then Antonio Brown thought was so funny that he just pulled onto his Twitter. Yeah, no. I had no, I, I I could not believe that this was actually a real thing he did. And that says a lot about how far this is, because if anyone's going to do something this crazy, it would be Antonio Brown. I mean, he's joking, right? It's Antonio question Brown. Mark, question mark, question mark. <laughs> he's joking, right? I mean, this is a guy who almost ref- who refused to play football because he didn't like the helmet that he had to wear for the Raiders. Is he still yeah. is he still pursuing his music career as well? Is that why we're seeing like some of the references about Red Rocks and that, all that stuff? That's, with the Beatles, that's a possibility. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Maybe subconsciously he's trying to get us to go check out his songs. Uh, maybe. I mean, that's great promotion. You're all over social media for that. It, I mean, it has to be a joke. Is it funny? Yes. But if, it is, if he's serious, then that's also terrifying, right? Yeah. <laughs> but he's, he's done a lot of terrifying stuff. He's, he's a piece yeah. of work. We, we, he we, definitely knows how to command the spotlight. Push the buttons. Yeah. It's a casual joke about assault in there. He threw a brick at a UPS driver. Yeah, rocks, he says. You're killing me, Smalls. All right, Brooke, here's an interesting story from Rick Buecher of Fox Sports. He says the Nets owner Joe Sy has already shown he's willing to play hardball with Kyrie Irving by taking a max extension off the table almost immediately. Buecher said... Now, part of that may be Kyrie's doing. Buker says, I'm told he wanted his new contract to guarantee he wouldn't have to play more than 60 games in a season and he wouldn't have to play any back-to-backs, which Irving apparently referred to as inhumane. So Kyrie wants the, the max extension from the Nets, but doesn't want to play more than 60 games of the 82 schedule, including zero back-to-backs. Mm. Now, has Kyrie come out and spoken out against this? No. Or is this just like a, a rumor? Or the, This is information. Rick Buecher is pretty tied in. So it's information that Rick Buecher got from the Nets. 
Hmm. Something tells me after the the whole reaction from the London meeting with Durant, that Joe Sai is not exactly trying to hold his cards to his chest anymore. I feel like this is this this makes a hundred percent sense. This makes a hundred percent sense that he just called Rick Buecher and was like, "Listen, this is ridiculous. Get this out of here for me." So I'm seeing that Kyrie supposedly put out a GIF. It's so weird in this day and age of social media now too that you can respond in certain ways, mm-hmm. and maybe he's trying to indicate that this is like cap or lying is what I'm seeing. Oh, okay. Hmm. So a little bit of a battle. You could definitely see that. With the way things are going with Durant and the Nets and the fact that they have solidly backed their GM and their coach against Durant and apparently Irving, maybe it is. But would anybody be surprised if Kyrie Irving, especially based on what happened last year, would demand to play only 60 games in a season and try to have it in his contract? I wouldn't be surprised. No, I can't say that I'd be surprised, but it seems like a lot of this stuff gets kind of nasty a little bit too when this much money is involved. And sometimes too, you have to wonder too where when the information, I don't doubt that it's 100% a credible source, but sometimes too, teams will want some of that information to be leaked out so that the public scrutiny, scrutiny will really come down on the player as well so they can control the narrative and be like no this is we're trying to make something happen here or this is what we're trying to do but the player's just being complicated yeah and this is a complicated player Kyrie appears to be a pretty decent guy misguided at times but appears to be a pretty like when he watched went down a YouTube rabbit hole to become a flat earther (laughs) that was that was kind of weird but what's so weird about that oh just that are you are you you don't think the earth could be flat I'm I'm not suggesting that I'm just saying to figure it out on YouTube You know what, Randy? Look at you being all I don't, I don't know what the possibility. That, okay, maybe he's not wrong. I get there. all my best information from YouTube. Yeah, Doesn't think, everybody? Yeah, I, th- I think we all do. Yeah. I th- well, yeah. Thank goodness for the internet. <laughs> right? I take my best life lessons from YouTube. Usually, videos that Randy sends me from beer commercials from the early two thousands. Yeah. See, I know things that other people just don't know, and that's one of the things. Is the the real men of genius commercials. We're the, the, the greatest. All right, and one other item here, and... You're killing me, Smalls! All right, Brooke, and you mentioned this during the break, but I wanted to make sure that we got to this. Legendary Cubs broadcaster Harry Carey, who helped popularize the singing of Take Me Out to the Ball Game during the seventh inning stretch, was brought back in the form of a hologram after the top of the seventh inning in last night's Field of Dreams <laughs> game. So you've got Harry as a hologram singing Take Me Out to the Ball Game. You know, the thing is, is I saw it on Twitter. Um, A lot of the reactions were kind of mixed. I think it is cool. It is cool, but also it was a little freaky looking, you know? It was. And I get the reference with the Field of Dreams, you know, have the ghosts and all that stuff. But at the same time, it was a little freaky. And I think that just from what I could tell, at least from my side of Twitter with what I see and whatever the algorithm pushes out to me, seems like a lot of people were saying, this is going to give me nightmares. This is kind of freaky. I wonder, though, if it will become kind of normalized and the Cubs will start using that uh, for their telecasts of Cubs Just teams. have him do yeah. that? Yeah, why not? Just have Harry do it. They could. He did it when he was alive. He can, he can do it when he's dead. <laughs> They did. They, didn't Michael Jackson have a whole tour after he had passed away? He did, yeah. And apparently it was unbelievable. 
Uh, they they uh, made a hologram of uh, Tupac at uh, Coachella. It was a huge deal. It, it kind of feels like a little weird, though, because then they can't exactly consent to you using their yeah, image, right? Right, right. <laughs> that's, that's where it gets a little murky. You don't want them to get overworked. Trust me, that's going to get weird in movies and stuff. We're going to be watching a movie like 15 years from now, and there's just going to be actors who have been dead just like popping up, getting their image used. You're just be like, I'm not sure that was entirely ethical, but I enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, think about now people that do have control of the situation. All of that cataloged music that Prince had done mm-hmm. and had like thousands of songs that he had recorded. And none of that I don't think has come out yet. Wait till that starts coming out. That'll be pretty cool actually. Yeah, he apparently had he apparently just had entire albums just like cut, printed, yeah. ready to roll, and they just stored away down there. Yeah. That is your Killing Me Smalls on 101 ESPN. We will head down the stretch towards a balloon party with T Mac and Ajax coming up on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Channel 4's Brooke Grimsley doing great work, filling in for Michelle, who's vacationing. Great work. And by the way, you'll be back with Michelle a couple of days next week, right? I will be. Thursday and Friday morning, bright and early. As I said, I'm trying to get used to the mornings right now. Back in the olden days, I had to... uh, fall asleep in the shower to wake up you know my mom would be banging on the door be like Brooke you have to get to school and I'm just be asleep in the shower but I'll come I'll become a morning person for you guys okay I'm working on it we like that a couple of baseball notes and this from John Heyman of the New York Post number one apparently one of the reasons that the Padres struggled early on after the trade for Juan Soto had nothing to do with Soto it's that the Padres players Miss Eric Hosmer. Remember when he was a free agent and Scott Boris was talking about the prestige factor and what a great leader Eric Hosmer is? Maybe there's more to that than we give credence to because a lot of the Padres players apparently were pretty open about saying, yeah, we, we miss him and he brought a lot to our clubhouse. And they're really just starting to rebound after a bad start with Juan Soto. And it's not his fault. Soto's hitting something like 357. But yeah. maybe it is the, the absence of Hosmer and that energy he brought to that clubhouse. I can see that because it really does make a huge difference whenever you change things around in a clubhouse. I mean, we, we talked about it earlier, how much you know the culture of the clubhouse matters, especially when it comes to a team buying in, understanding that even through hard times, a loss or something like that, that you can still turn things around. You need leaders like that. And it seems like Hosmer, wherever he's gone, he's been a very well-liked player. Yeah, so that's uh, that's one thing in baseball. Another is that there have been rumors floating around since the Tigers fired Al Avila as their general manager that a couple of the Cardinal uh, subordinates to Pobo John Mozeliak would be on the Tigers list, both Mike Gersh and Randy Flores. According to, according to John Heyman, Dodgers executive Josh Burns has the inside track to replace Avila because Burns worked with A.J. Hinch in Arizona. As a matter of fact, Burns moved Hinch from the front office to be the D-backs manager when both were in Arizona. Hinch has a lot of sway in that organization in Detroit, so apparently Josh Burns has the inside track, which would keep both Randy Flores and Mark Mike Gersh in place with the Cardinals. <laughs> Rocky is over there clapping. 
I'm a big Randy Flores fan. After we talked, after we talked to him and, and Gary LaRock on this show across, uh, I guess it was late June, early July. I'm such a huge fan now of Randy Flores and, and, and LaRock. Mm-hmm. I do not want to lose either of those guys. Randy Flores is impressive. Building. I mean, yeah. and, and, yes. and we talked to um, um, uh, Kyle Glazer over at Baseball America, and he had a, a great article talking about how the Cardinals completely turned around their farm system really in one year, and how unprecedented that was. I don't want to lose these guys. No, you can't. No, no, you can't. And then finally, the Cardinals and the Brewers over the course of this weekend will have the 40-year anniversary of the 1982 World Championship team. And Brooke, during the course of those 40 years, Bob Force has passed away, Joaquin Andohar has passed away, Daryl Porter has passed away, David Green has passed away. And these guys are in their 70s now. So it's probably the last time that we'll be able to see the the core group together. Obergfell, Ozzie, Her, Hernandez, George Hendrick, I hope, will be there. Lonnie Smith, Willie McGee, and then LaPointe and Stuper from the pitching staff and Bruce Souter. So for, especially for those of us that were around during 1982, this is a weekend to savor. I, I love reunion weekends over at Bush Stadium. It's one of my favorites because usually you're able to talk to them and just hear some of the stories. And it's like you also get to see them back around with each other, sometimes for the first time in years mm-hmm. and decades for some of the players, especially if they're not living close to the area. And it's just so cool to see them just come back together and just pick up where it seems like they left off. And the stories that you get to hear, that's what I love the most, is just the stories you get to hear of what happened mm-hmm. for them personally during that time and, and what it was like. At the age of 90, Whitey Herzog is still sharp. as sharp as a tack, yeah. and the stories that he'll have this weekend will be right on the mark, and he remembers everything in such vivid detail about that season, and I'm glad that he's still around to share it. So I, I have a couple of really strong memories from that season. Number one, I was an usher at the ballpark. I was the first really? base. I, I was the, uh, on the field on the first base side. I was I was the dugout guard, and so I. But I remember one thing that wasn't. I wasn't at the game, but. The Cardinals had a 12-game winning streak early. I was driving up to Chicago for a Blues-Blackhawks playoff game, and it was me and four other guys from college in my 1977 Oldsmobile Cutlass, and we're driving 90 (laughs) miles an hour listening to the Cardinals win their 12th in a row. And then the other one is Game 2 of the World Series. Game 1... The Cardinals lose 10 nothing, And my job after I get off the field is to go into the media room and just check passes of the uh, the media members. And Cardinals lose 10 nothing. Mike Caldwell of the Brewers pitches a shutout. And Whitey sits down at the podium and says, glad that wasn't a doubleheader. <laughs> so just so even keel. He was, he was perfect. Game two, tie game, eighth inning, bases loaded, and the Cardinals pinch hitter extraordinaire Steve Braun steps up to the plate. And before that... I was so nervous in a tight game, because I'm a fan, I'm intense, I actually got so sick that I had to leave for an inning. I was sweating profusely, it's like 45 degrees outside, 40 degrees, and I had to go, and I went back to the usher's room, threw up, and after I threw up, I was fine, and went back to my spot and, w- and was there for Steve Braun taking what wound up being the game-winning bases-loaded walk. So that was kind of like your Michael Jordan moment Yeah, I, that was my flu game, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's your flu game. Yeah. <laughs> I love so, that. And then the Cardinals went on, they, they come home down 3-2 in the series,
win game six on the strength of John Stuper's shutout pitching. Three and a half hours of rain delays. Stuper, think about the, whether this had happened today. Stuper comes back after like a 45-minute delay and then another hour delay to throw eight innings. I think he might have even thrown a complete game, but two long delays and they still bring Stuper back to pitch him. Wow. And that would not happen now. No. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, and then Joaquin starts game seven and Suter goes, I think it was two and a third. Your closer goes two and a third to close things out. And the Cardinals won it. High fastball to Gorman Thomas to finish things off. So that was the Cardinals and the Brewers 40 years ago when the Brewers were in the American League. This weekend, the Cardinals will try to expand a half-game lead. And, Brooke, I, I didn't think I'd be saying this with this team even three weeks ago. But I feel really good about all three starting pitchers that the Cardinals are going to trot out there. And even the fourth guy, when Jose Quintana comes around, I feel good about him. I didn't think that I would feel this good about the depth of the Cardinal rotation at this point in the year. But I do. No. I mean, they got the missing pieces that they needed. And I think Mm -hmm. Jose Quintana has been... I, I, my expectations, especially with the Pirates, you know, are a little bit low. Me too. And obviously he kind of had to build himself back up just kind of looking at his career stats as well. I feel like he's been a great fit for the organization. He has fit in really seamlessly. Same thing with Jordan Montgomery. I mean, and I think that goes back to the kind of clubhouse culture. I don't know if you saw sometimes during the Valley Sports Midwest broadcast, Jose Quintana's over there with Albert Pujols and Yachty just smiling, chatting Mm -hmm. away. You see Jordan Montgomery talking to Wayno and Dakota Hudson and some of the other pitchers and stuff. And I feel like that helps with them just really integrating so seamlessly in there. And now you have two guys that could be, as Rick Ankiel said earlier, difference makers for the Cardinals here as we are in a very pivotal moment. And look, I am I consider myself a realist and I feel pretty good th- about things too going into this series this weekend and also just for the Cardinals overall because you can just tell the way that they're playing right now. They feel really good about where they're at. Last Saturday in Montgomery's Cardinal debut, he went five innings and cramped up because of the hot weather. Tonight, game time, 78 degrees. By the time the game ends, 72. It'll be perfect for him. Yes, yes. This is perfect weather right now for him. So a Cardinal win. Yes. Okay. And a Cardinal sweep? Okay, yeah. thank you, thank you. Yeah. Thanks, for, thanks for jumping on board. Okay, and then is this this whole segment was to convince me of that, right? No, I can see, I can see it possibly, you know. Oh, now it's gone to, from yes to I can see it possibly. Okay, thank you very much. Yeah, thanks. And then uh, I want to be wrong. Okay. I want to be wrong. And let's just because we haven't had an NFL team here for seven years now, so we just need to pump the brakes on being concerned about the, the Titans preseason. Okay. Yes. So let's don't worry about being beaten by the Ravens, twenty-three to ten. It's all about opening day. I'm already turning the page, forgetting about it. Just kind of like the Cardinals with, with Colorado. Colorado. Just turn the page. It never happened. We're not looking back at that. We're only looking forward. And the future is Derek Henry and Malik Willis. Great job on pulling out all those cliches. Only looking you forward. Like that? Yeah, well done. Yeah. You've been around sports. You put me on a podium right now. <laughs> Great job by our producer engineer, the one, the only Matthew Rocchio. Pleasure. And Brooke, this was awesome. Great to work with you. And Thank you so much for having yeah. me in. You'll be in with Michelle a couple of days next week, and hopefully we'll be doing this more often in the future. Yes. Thank you so much. That is Brooke Grimsley. You can see her on Channel 4.
all the time. She's, she's <laughs> always, always working. And we appreciate you tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show. I am out next week, but Michelle will be back with Alexa on Monday morning. And for all of us, we thank you for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show. And for everybody, until Monday morning at 7, have a great weekend, St. Louis. You've been listening to the Character and Smallman Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Here's the lowdown on lowering bad cholesterol from Lecvio. Lowering bad cholesterol is hard, but you could do hard. You live through five fad diets, 11 sleep training nights, nine mediocre middle school recitals, one heart attack, And with Lecvio, you can lower your bad cholesterol and keep it low with two doses a year after two starter doses. Prescription Lecvio in glycerin is given by a doctor for people with known heart disease on a statin with diet who need more help lowering bad cholesterol. Common side effects were injection site reaction, joint pain, urinary tract infection, diarrhea, chest cold, pain in legs or arms, and shortness of breath. Results may vary. Learn more at Lecvio.com or call 1-833-537-8462. Ask your doctor about Lecvio. That's L-E-Q-V-I-O. Lower, longer, Lecvio. Hey, hon, what you doing with your fun? Do flowers have best friends? I don't know. Hey, look. Whoa. Some answers can only be found in nature. Discover the unsearchable. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a trail near you. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council.